Welcome back, guys, to the Pod of Greed. We're back, guys. A little late, but still here. Yeah, uh, sorry about that. Uh, some some illness fell upon us, and uh, it's okay, though. We're back. We've got a lot to say since we're a couple days late. We've actually had a little more time to look over some stories and form some opinions. We've even read some comments giving us ideas for the future. Yes, and speaking of ideas for the future, just real quick before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes... Two really big things. So, first of all, we figured out that we can finally have guests on the podcast through Bluetooth because... Um, we can just call them, you know. Yeah, we can literally just call them. Um, my dumbass forgot that the Rodecaster has, like, a Bluetooth function. Can they see it? Can they see this beautiful work of art? Yeah, it's probably behind everything. But, yeah, we can have guests. We can call them in. So... If there are any guests that you guys would like to have on the show, maybe they could just tune in to give, like, takes on a particularly, like, big news story of a week or segment. Or just send their phone number. Yeah, you know, anything like that. Yeah, anything like that's totally... Don't um, send your own phone number. Yeah, that, 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 those sorts of things could also be on the table. Um, so, also, the second thing is that I really appreciate all of you guys who follow and give reviews on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify... And things like that. All if, two of you. Yeah, so for those of you who do, please, like, you know, give us those ratings. Like, five-star ratings, good reviews. Oh, we appreciate okay to be it. Honest. Two stars, we get it. Like. Yeah, or that, if you, if you really hate us. So, um, yeah, but definitely keep doing that if you appreciate the podcast. It would be great. And if you're not subscribed to APS Amplifier, do that. But you probably are if you're watching. I mean, if you've so. been here this long, like. I would assume so. You might as well be. Okay, so we got to kick it off with the usual array of Yu-Gi-Oh! TCG news in particular. Make sure you move your mic closer. Everyone always... Or move yourself closer to it or whatever, yeah. People always say that you're not, like, close enough to your mic, so... I don't know why I can't master the art of the mic. I don't know. I don't yeah, get it. But, um, okay, I'm trying so, not to move too much this time, though. So Yu-Gi-Oh! stuff. Uh, it's been an interesting week. Because, like, while there haven't technically been, like some major announcements or whatever, there have been, like, uh, there's, like, been the release of the 25th anniversary, like, rarity collection. Yeah. Probably the most anticipated set of the year, I would say. And I feel like we still haven't finished reeling from the Age of Overlord release. I still, like, I feel like we're still early into that. Yeah, there's still a lot of that going on. Um, So, 25th anniversary rarity collection, obviously the content creator reveals had gone up, so people saw that, and they are pretty happy with what we saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've gotten my chance to open up some packs of it, and I have to say, I think it's it's really good, honestly. It's uh, just a lot of strong meta reprints that people have wanted. It was crazy opening packs and just being able to get, like, Triple Tactics Talent, Pot of Prosperity, Barone, just in in abundance. So you opened up one box, right? Yeah, I've opened up one box so far. I'm going to probably uh, open more soon. How satisfied were you with your pulls from this one box? Very, very satisfied. Um... I mean, I think I got, like, uh, two or three Prosperity, uh, two or three Extravagance. I know I got two Barone. Um, no, I got, Barones. like, uh, You don't need three. both those, right? I don't, yeah. It's great. It, it's kind of crazy, actually. That So, it's funny you mention that. There have been stories I've read from people on Twitter and stuff where they're like, yeah, uh, people at my locals just bought up this set, and we were all just sitting around at a table, and, like, just opening... And giving each other, just, like, people are like, hey, you need a Barone? Hey, you need, like, a a triple tactics? And, like, because there's so many different rarities in it, you can kind of get a, like, a certain rarity of a card that you want. Mm -hmm. This set does introduce a couple of new rarities. Um, 
like the, I don't know if they're calling it prismatic or parallel. I think it's like the prismatic ultra, ultimate rare and prismatic collector's rare, yeah. which look really good. I was looking at those, and they remind me a lot of the OCG rarities that we saw when we opened up the... Um, Whatever that OCG 25th anniversary Yeah, was. we've opened a few OCG sets. Do we still have those? I remember at one point we opened some and we got, they sent us so much we got sick of Yeah, them. we probably have a few. I know we had like Animation Chronicle and some other things like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that with these, uh, with these new, these new like rarities getting introduced, people have, have taken really well to them. I like the look. Um... I specifically like the one uh, that, not the shatter foily looking secret rare. Mm-hmm. I like the um, what is that? The collectors, the twenty fifth collector. Yeah, rare. their take on the collectors rare. I like uh, that. collectors rare always. It feels so very good. subdued, but I like that. I like a, a more subtle uh, rarity. Yeah, I prefer the collectors rare over the new um, like prismatic ultimate rare. I think that the ultimate rare. Uh, I don't want to say it looks cheap that would not be how i would describe it but it kind of it doesn't feel like a proper ultimate rare and i'm a little biased because i just i like like the ots pack ultimates i feel like they're a little bit more genuine i do like what they do with the borders on those yeah okay so you like how they did the borders yeah i like that i like the look of them i don't like the feel of them in the hand oh okay i haven't touched if that like makes any sense it's kind of like the feel of them kind of it's got like that slick film that reminds me a lot of the maximum gold cards that i was not as big of a fan of. Mm-hmm. Now, that said, though, the best part about Rarity Collection is that, like, if you don't like that Rarity, you just don't have to, like, really use those ones. Like, you can sure. trade those to someone who wants it, and then you could just get um, a Secret or an Ultra, or the one that I have fallen in love with, the Return of the Platinum Secret Rare from the 2015 ah. 10s. That one looks very good. I like that a lot. So, that's just definitely a, a look that they... I didn't... I don't think I liked it when they did it in the tens, because they overdid it a bit. I don't know. I feel like whenever we get a new rarity, at first you don't like it, and you come around over time. Yeah, I'm one of those people. I, I think I have to like use cards for a bit, and then I'll usually end up kind of changing my tune on it. But it's a cool set. It really is. Um, so remember the platinum rares from Noble Knights, Knights of the Round. Okay, I don't want those Fire. again. Yeah, that. Wow. Oh God, those are the worst. <laughs> Yeah, we that's that's that is the one that please don't bring that back. At least not in the in that exact form. Uh so there's been a little bit though of controversy around it. You know, we always gotta kinda cover these stories from multiple angles. So um one of the criticisms I've heard levied against this set, and uh and I see where people are coming from with it, is that it's kind of a like, so some people are saying, okay, this is like the, the best set of the year, or the best product of the year, or even the best product of all time. And I think that's a bit of a bold claim all to time make. All time is wild. Yeah, all time. of darkness exists. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's Alex. That. It's the best one of all time. I mean, I think it is certainly comparable to something like Dual Devastator, where like you can, you can buy this and be pretty guaranteed to get just an array of very good things. Not completely guaranteed to get every single thing, but you will get the cards. Um, the complaint though that I've heard some people say is that like, well, it's a bit of a, it's a solution to a problem that like, of Konami's making, if that, you know what I mean? But I think that that makes sense, but I do think that's kind of the corporate way. Mm -hmm. Uh, you, you know, you make a product that you have a service, you sell it 
And then you sell solutions to the problems that you created. It, it's kind of the only way you can expect for Konami or any other company to like fix their problems is by uh, selling the solutions. Yeah, it, it's kind of one of those things where like the people saying that are right. This is like the Yu-Gi-Oh kind of card prices being prohibitively expensive is an issue of Konami's like kind of design, the way that they sort of print things. More or less, I mean, like, I do think that the players bear some responsibility just because, like, we let these things be, like, $100 and people are, like, willing to pay 100 for, like, a, a Barone or a, a Prosperity or Triple Tactics, like, Thrust Talents. But, like, also, there's, like, a Konami printing thing. But I agree with you in that, like, well, Konami's fixing their own problem, but, hey, be glad that they're at least addressing it at all. Like, they yeah, don't they have could, to even do this. They could not do it, and then we just kind of be doing what we've always had to do and just suffer and wait for reprints forever. Yeah, now, another thing, too, is that, like, this is one of the opinions I've kind of held a bit more about this product is that as cool as it is, and I really am glad that the product exists, I want to be clear about that, you know, you can already kind of see sort of some planned obsolescence in action where it's like, okay, Triple Tactics Thrust is not in this. But it's a card that's nearly a year old. And also, like, SP Little Knight is new, and it's not in this. So, obviously, I was no, I don't think anyone's expecting, like, SP Little Knight to that be in here. Insane if yeah, that would have been wild. But it's kind of one of those things where, like, okay, the $100 staples of yesteryear are in this set. But, like, where they've kind of already been replaced by new $100 staples that you will need. And it will not be reprinted until, perhaps, Rarity Collection 2 next November. Which like means, you know... Still, but it's still really good when you think about it. Because mm -hmm. I picked up a, um, a what, four copies of uh, Triple Tactics like a month or so ago. And, and it still cost me like a decent amount. It wasn't at its full price, but... Like, yeah. Like, I really wish I had not done that now and just bought a box of this set. Yeah, like it's... And that's the thing is it's kind of one of those things where it's like, okay... I don't want to come across as, like, being ungrateful because this product really and truly is, like, it is so good for cash. Just for just people getting into the game Wait, who... Is Ash Blossom in the set? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, fire. Well, yeah, Ash is in there, yeah. We can never it's have like, enough. Because it's, like, it's one of those things where this is such a good thing. Like, the fact that a person can just get their prosperities, can just get their extravagance, get their barone, get their evenly, like, just get these staples. It's wild because I guess I have never fully appreciated how much, I think, until just the last year or two. A lot of players just kind of go through Yu-Gi-Oh! without having these cards. And if you're, like, a competitive type, like, I've had my competitive, you know, sort of flings with the game. Yeah, you've won two YCSs. Where, oh, I wish. You know, you. it's easy to assume that everyone just has their evenly matched and they have their prosperities. So when you're talking about the game, you'll hear people online and stuff, and they'll be like, yeah, like, Prosperity is this, like, amazing card, and thanks to this, this deck can compete, and all these things, and, like, oh, you just out this with this card, and it's, like, a lot of the average players don't necessarily have that. Which does make some sense, like, yeah, if you have a, if you have the, a limited amount of product that you can even buy from at your store, that means there's only so many to go around, and if you're not a big, like, online spender, which we all can't be... There's a, there's, a, there's a lot of people out there who just, they don't have access to the same yeah. card pool. They don't have access to these cards, and they want to have access to them. And so this is great because finally, like, they are able to simply just 
Oh, it's buy something. They just let you get the things. That's always been my uh, my thing with like reprints and why I'm so in strong favor of them. Is like people want to play this damn game. Let them play. Like let them play the cards, Konami. Let them play the. Ex- let them summon Barone. Let them play Prosperity so their tier seven deck can finally like actually not brick. Like let like let it happen. Like reprint it. Give them the hand traps. Give them give people what they need to play and it puts more people on an even ground and i just think that's a good you you have a thought i do have i have a question okay uh, there might be a thought attached to it but i have a question um so what does that mean for reprints going forward because reprints of impactful cards was how konami sold a lot of their kind of assets mm-hmm. over the last few years yeah i mean so th- well, that that's that's just two different conversations really so this is an interesting one. So many thoughts. The first one is, I feel like this may as well have replaced what the tins should have been in a lot of people's eyes. Like this mm-hmm. year is kind of like the 2020 Dueling Heroes tins. What I noticed that Konami did, and it's starting to make some sense now, although I don't know how much I like it. The tins reprinted the archetype cards. Rarity Collection reprinted the staple cards. I wonder if going forward that will just be the new wave where it's like, okay, you get the tins which reprint Kashtira and like kind of all the archetypes that came out in the past year before we maybe ban them. And then you'll get something closer to a rarity collection that gives people the staples from the last, you know, year or two. And if that's the case, I don't think that's like necessarily a problem or necessarily a bad thing. It certainly makes it where like the tins are a little more underwhelming because they're more like purpose driven. Like if you specifically kind of want these archetypes in a new rarity and stuff, then the tins are for you. But I think that it'll make a rarity collection thing almost always the more popular product. So I wonder if we're going to get another one of these next year. Especially because the sets ID code or whatever is like RC01, which like, you know, like on the card. Yeah. But what does that mean? Well, what that implies that like there would be like an RCO2. Oh, okay. Or RCO3. Because like, like if they ever put O1, it means like there's probably going to be. Or at least there can like, be. Uh, you know, there has, there's the possibility of like an annual thing. Um, But the bigger thing that people are talking about with this uh, that you were saying is like it shows that Konami is willing to experiment with that OCG style of cards are available in different rarities. Mm-hmm. And. So I think it means, like, maybe, just maybe, if this set does well, Konami will see that this could be a thing in mainline sets where a lot of cards are available in multiple rarities. Other games do this. Do you think there's, like, any hope of that? Or do you think this will probably just be relegated to a reprint spinoff sort of set like this? I do think that if this set sells well, they'll do it again in a sequel set. I don't actually think they'll change how the main sets work. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think it'll be be considered another pro, a profitable like segment to pursue. But why give up an, a whole other product they can sell and make profit on to like yeah. make these other products which already sell fine better for us? Unless it means unless they can prove that our main series sets will just start selling like hotcakes. 
Yeah, so that's the uncomfortable truth about it, too, that I've been kind of having to come to terms with. So there's this big conversation right now about, like, mainline sets should do this for, like, say, SP Little Knight. We kind of talked about it a bit last week, where it's like, okay, there's a secret rare SP Little Knight that's 100 bucks, but it would be nice if there was a super rare one that's, like, 5 bucks. Mm -hmm. So you'd have the option of getting your, like, 3 to $5 super rare, um, like, Little Knight, and then maybe the secret rare one for people who just want to flex is like 50 bucks. And you can even make a special, give her some alternate art, because he's like an IP Masquerina card. They usually have alternate arts for them eventually anyway. So if you wanted to like distinguish it a bit more, you could do that. Would um, she ride a scooter? <laughs> that'd be funny if she did. <laughs> she rides a scooter. So like, and it would be great to see that in mainline sets. So that way, when Agov comes out, I can everybody can play like Little Knight, and some people get the peasants version or whatever, and then some people get the flexy, blingy, aristocratic version, and everyone can enjoy it. The proletariat and the bourgeoisie can all coexist and be happy. No, he's been saying that all week. It's like he just discovered these terms. Oh no, 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 no! I just it's just a fun it's fun words to use for for Yu Gi Oh uh, and the, the price argument, but. Everybody can kind of, like, be happy. But, like, I don't know that Konami will do that because, like you were saying, and like some people have said, if Rarity Collection is, like, a solution to a problem of their making, then, like, why wouldn't they just... Do it again. You know, just kind of do it again. So, um... And, I, you know, I don't know. It, it's, it's Yu-Gi-Oh! Like, stuff changes slow in this game. Like, you can't really expect... like. I don't know that you can expect Konami to change like the, the way that main line sets work. There is a way to get them to change it. It's just that we won't do it. What's the way? We have to hurt the sales of like main series sets. Like, yeah. If as long as as long as they're performing like adequately, and they are, mm-hmm. um, they'll never change them. They'll yeah. only change them if things are going wrong. Yeah, they wouldn't really have a, a good reason to. <laughs> we're Yu-Gi-Oh players. We need we, we need good shiny cardboard. We do, and you know, I've always said, uh, and and I'm not, I am not guiltless here. You get playing Yu-Gi-Oh. If you've played long enough, you kind of get this almost self awareness about it, where you have Stockholm syndrome, uh, like a little bit, because like Konami abuses us, like in in a sense, you could say that through just kind of the 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 reprint cycle, where it's like cards. A hundred bucks are like really hard to get, and then doesn't get reprinted for like eighteen months. I'm gonna stop you right there. Konami don't abuse me. Konami love me. (laughs) All right, okay. Konami cares about me. Yeah, and and then ban lists, crazy formats, like everything. Kind of you, and I'm not saying this in like a oh my god, you go so awful way. I'm saying like we endure it, and we kind of just we almost thrive in it to some degree, and eventually you just get to a point where you're like, well, that's just how Konami is, and like it's okay. Well, so you know. it's the status quo, you know? Yeah. So, it, does it, you know, what What does it all mean for the future of Yu-Gi-Oh? Don't know. Not, not really sure. I don't think that they're changing mainline sets anytime soon. I think that, that we'll just be... Doubt. Unless... But either way, Rarity Collection is good. I think it's, it, it's worth the buy if you can, like, you know, just sp- split like a box or two with a friend. That can be really fun. That's true. I mean, there's enough duplicates of cards in this set where uh you know it, it's probably the first time where splitting a box can feel kind of good yeah it, it has a good feeling to it um so it actually reminds me many years ago when i was a poor little scrub and, uh, and still a jack of all trades but i was, a, I was a, a scrubby jack and um me and the guys at my community college we would split boxes mm-hmm. and 
that was painful in Yu-Gi-Oh! Because these sets would come out and there was four of us and all four of us wanted to build the same two things. So splitting the box Splitting the box was not really worked. Yeah. I remember when Cardfight Vanguard came out. Then oh, oh splitting splitting a box in that game was wonderful. We all wanted to play different uh different clans. Yeah. And they were all represented in the box, so it was more easily distributed amongst yeah, and I guess the the thing with Yu-Gi-Oh that probably feels like it's different there is a just rarity availability. Like everybody, like splitting, it's like if I was to split even just like a case, let's say, I was like, all right, guys, we're gonna like split a case, like the three of us or something, and we're gonna it's gonna be like you know That's eight much money. like seven eight hundred bucks. But like we all want IP or SB Little Knight or something, and like the case might have like two of them, let's say. That's the problem with staples. Then like it's gonna be kind of rough, and. So, yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's a little bit tougher in Yu-Gi-Oh! I, th- I think it's one of these games, too, where, like, not all archetypes tend to kind of be made evenly. Like, I know there are some games where, like, oh, okay, a new set pretty evenly just supports, like, all the colors or something. Mm-hmm. Like, in Magic, maybe. But, like, here, it's, like, there's probably two archetypes most people want, and there's stuff that you probably only want if you're, like, niched down. That's kind of the unique problem of being a, uh, a staple-heavy, staple-driven game like Yu-Gi-Oh!, I mean, there's, it's no secret, right? Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah, we have archetypes, but we're a game of staples. The staples yeah. kind of define the format, and when we when we change what staples we run, that's usually a sign of, oh, we actually moved to a new format. Right. Um, so, and then, like, and it wouldn't have to be, again, if, like, staples were printed in the more of the Pokemon way, right? Let's make them available. Yeah, and so that leads me to my last little thing I'll cover on this before I shut my mouth already. Um, That'll be a short pod. Well, shut my mouth on this topic. Plenty more to complain about. No, um, so I made a tweet uh, just last night or like yesterday or whatever, and I was like talking about how like you know I've been dabbling a little in Pokemon. We have got like some one fifty one decks we're building. Yeah, yep. Just for fun, and I was building a Blastoise EX deck, and so uh, you know I've got I was lucky and I pulled the really rare Blastoise EX card from Pokemon 151. It's worth like 50, 60 bucks. But also there are like other Blastoise printed in the set. There's like two others. And one's like $20, $25. And there's one that's like three bucks. And so the extra copies I got for my deck were just three bucks. Cause like, I don't need them to all be the $60 one and I can still play them and they're functionally identical. And so I tweeted about this. Sorry, go ahead. You couldn't max rarity of the deck. Oh, never, no. I'm not playing with you now. Well, so, listen, actually, listen, you saying that, it leads into my next thing. Oh. So, it's like, if I, so I was able to get these, like, extra copies of Blastoise that are functionally identical. They have, like, a different art or whatever, but same effect, same everything. If I play this deck, and it turns out I really like it, then I can choose to, like, rarity bump it and, like, play max rarity. Oh. And that's one of the great things about Pokemon is that, like... You know, I can do that, but I can also just try to test the waters, no pun intended, like with these two, three dollar Blastoise. I know, yeah. So I had like posted about this on Twitter and she put up this picture and most people agree. They're like, yeah, this would be really good. I said like, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh could kind of learn from Pokemon in this regard. But then there were some people who kind of, I think maybe didn't, I don't know if they really knew what I was getting at because there were people who were like, oh, well, like Yu-Gi-Oh does alt arts too or like. You know, I don't know why you're complaining. Lost Yu-Gi-Oh! does this. Don't count. Like, you know, it, it was, it's like, 
somebody was like, yeah, well, look at the price of like Opelosa, right? Like there's several different printings of Opelosa now and like they're all really cheap. And I was like, yeah, but that's not, the point I was getting at was that those copies of Blastoise all released in the set it released in. Yep. Like they all came in 151. There's just three variants, three different arts at three different price ranges and I can get whichever I want because no matter what, if I just want to play Blastoise, I can play, like get an accessible version and if I like it, I can get an expensive version and that sort of is what people are proposing Yu-Gi-Oh do is that there is a cheap Little Knight and there's a blingy Little Knight and everyone can play Little Knight. It's just a matter of do you want the flexy one or not. Yeah, and then with that Apollosa example, like how many years has it been since Apollosa exactly, came? Exactly, yeah. Like, and then how many like printings did it get printed in? And yeah, it's like eventually, <laughs> sure, Apollosa has gotten several printings, but it's like what people the people want to play Apollosa or Little Knight or whatever unreleased, not you know have to wait twelve months, eighteen months. Like, it would need all those reprints if it was accessible from the start. Now, in full disclosure, I will say. I don't want a card game. Who knows why Konami like like I'm sh- I don't doubt that Konami has a like a decent reason for maybe not doing this. I don't doubt it. I know that there's yeah there's profits to be had, and then also like there's just internal reasons why maybe they have tested this before and they have sufficient reason to believe it would not work for Yu Gi Oh like it does for other card games. I get that, but until I'm aware of what that reason is. I'm going to continue to support the idea that Yu-Gi-Oh should do more of the like rarity collection style thing. And eventually, if they could, it would be good to see in mainline sets. Because my overall thing is that people want to play Yu-Gi-Oh. And they deserve to be able to play Yu-Gi-Oh as accessibly as possible. And that way we can get back to arguing over like cards, right? Arguing over should Maxi be legal or is this deck too broken? Like I'd rather Cart like Yu-Gi-Oh players be arguing about that or talking strategy or talking top deck lists or whatever, not feeling price gated out of this game. Yeah, that's definitely one of those um, 21st century, mm-hmm. just post-modern capitalism. Like, like it doesn't we should, belong yeah, in, it doesn't, a, like, in a card it, game. Exactly. Like this isn't what, this isn't something we talked about this like last week right. a bit. Like it's just, this is not the conversation that we should even have to be having. Like, there should not be this talk of, like, the haves and the have-nots. Yeah, we should and... be gauging each other's Marxism levels. Like, Yeah, exactly. Like, do you deserve to be able to play Yu-Gi-Oh? Can you afford to play Yu-Gi-Oh? Like, should people all get access to these things? And it's like, no, that's not... I don't care about any of that. We should just be able to have the cards and talk about the cards. Like, this isn't a let-them-eat-cake kind of conversation. Yeah, sorry. I know, like, the I got a little... Cards. And we want to eat those. Well, not really. Trail has. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, you know, so I don't... Anyway. Okay, yeah. So that, that's the topic. That that's the, that's the thing. I hope Konami sees this as a good experience and maybe can do something about it going mm-hmm. forward. So, cool. Other Yu-Gi-Oh things? Uh, I got nothing. I've got another. Oh, thank More God. controversy. Duelist Cup. This has been a talking point for people over in the last week. Links? In Master Duel, though, oh, it's based sure. on it's a, the Kaiba Cup. Court. Yeah, it's based on a system that Duel Links has. Also, I think Duel Links started as Kaiba Cup like last week or something. I've okay. been ill, y'all. I'm a little out the loop. Okay, well, that's great because I can fill you right in. So the Duelist Cup uh, was happening over the past couple weeks in Master Duel, kind of the latter half of October. And mm-hmm. 
Just a recap of how the Duelist Cup works. I know some people may not know about it. So it's a two-week-long event, and you play by just kind of queuing up like normal. It's split into two stages. In the first stage or the first phase, um, you're just trying to increase your DLV. You think that would mean dual level, but Konami will never call it dual it's level. It's the DLV. It's the DLV. I, I can... My anecdote to that is that, like, we have done... I've done a sponsored thing about, like, the Duelist Cup once before, like, when it was, like, the Road to Worlds, and they were super adamant about, like, call it DLV. Don't say dual level, say DLV. If if you want to be called dual level, we wrote dual level. Yeah, and it's like, and write it out as DLV. So so Konami is very anal about, like, it it is DLV, not dual level. Don't get it twisted! Anyways, so... um, Digimon... Digimon level variant. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So, yeah, in the first stage, you are trying to get your DLV up. And once you get to DLV max, which is 20, but it's called DLV max. um, Once you get to DLV max, you are eligible to play in the second stage. And the second stage takes place for just three days at the end of the overall time period. Mm Mm-hmm. In the second stage, um, it's obviously going to be a little bit more competitive. It's people who've like gotten to their max DLV. But also, the rules slightly change in that you get points for winning, but you actually lose points for losing. Like, you are, you know, there's a real consequence to losing. And Good. so the goal is to have the most points at the end of the 72-hour period, and um, the winner of that gets an invitation to Worlds for next year. That sounds about how I remember it. Yeah. Yeah. So the controversy comes in basically because um, the system sort of encourages uh, getting a lot of games in and kind of grinding over that period of 72 hours to the extent that there are people who have been, you know, will do streams and stuff where they will stay up for the full 72 hours and just play. They won't eat. They won't sleep. And so what you're telling me is you have to get your DLV up Yes. And you have to get on your grind set. Correct. Mm. Yeah, get your DLV up. That's right. Okay. Um, so it's now, um, apparently it's a system Duel Links has had for ages. So yeah. it's not like a new thing for Master Duel. It's just a system that, that works for Konami. So I, I see why they're doing it again. There's some benefits to it. I think yeah. they can obviously point to higher playtime hours. Like I mean, a yeah, lot of people are if playing. People have yeah. to play for 72 hours straight and. It's a ticket to world, so you know there's a lot of people willing to just to just sit there and grind. Lock out the mobile games in general. Like they, they, this is a system that you'd like. You want people playing often. So how are they taking off for work? They aren't, or maybe they are. I don't know. So the one issue that people kind of raise with that is like, well, if you work like a normal job, like most people do, then you're not going to be able to like. It's kind of unfair that, like, even if you're good at Yu-Gi-Oh!, you just don't have the time to kind of sit sit in on those 72 hours. Mm-hmm. Then you're kind of at a disadvantage. Some people want there to be, like, a... Some people suggest, like, a max amount of times you're able to queue each, um, uh, like, so each you day. Can, you get all your games in, mm-hmm. and, you know, you have your wins, you have your losses, and you're locked. That's that's it for that Yeah, day. for that day, like, you, you, you can queue 100 games, let's say, or, like, 50 or something like that. There's some cap. Uh, it could even be amount of hours, like it's like it's just kind of putting out hours per day that you're able to queue. That's. But I feel like that might not be as good, just because like there are sort of benefits to like maybe playing at certain times of the day. Although I guess that would still yeah, that could be, be like an issue that even could be with tough the amount with time of time zones and stuff. Yeah, so like if I queued maybe at night, I get like easier games at night than I do in the day. I do. I like, like the idea of capping the number of games you play in a in a day. Mm-hmm. 
But I would be worried about them making the cap too high, where it's at that point, uh, if it's, let's say, like 200 games, you're going to play 200 games of Macedon in a day? Well, I mean, yeah, that's, that's... That's like all day anyway. Yeah, so some people say it could be like a really low thing, like 20 or 30. I think that maybe something like 50, because it's supposed to be a cap, so it's supposed to be like a quite high thing, but I think like 50 might be good. Like 50 so, matches at the most per day. How how long do you think it takes to play 50 matches? What do you say? I mean, I... I haven't played that like, much Master Duel, so I couldn't tell you. If I had to guess, because I think Master Duel games can... Kind of be, like, on average, let's say, 10 minutes. It could be a little less if you, like, kind of immediately scoop or whatever the opponent does. But let's say that it takes about 10 minutes. So an hour could get you about six to eight matches. And so if you played for, like, 12 hours, because it's extreme and you're taking this seriously. So you play for, like, 12 hours. Then, like, I think that you could, you'd hit the cap, like, for sure within, like, 12 hours. Really, probably a bit less so, like, something like eight hours. And, and that's still a lot of time to be it playing Master lot, Duel. Yeah, but, I mean, like, at least, you know, I, I just don't think that there should be so much uh, incentive to just, like, just play, like, forever. Now, counterpoint. Counterpoint, counterpoint. Is that, actually, if you're really good at Master Duel and your win rates are just really high and you just win a lot of games quickly, then you don't actually have to play for, like, the full 72 hours because of the, because of the fact that people lose points for losing. Yeah. The real takeaway could be get good. There is a, there's the, one of the guys who won or like, I think the guy who got first place was so far ahead of the competition that he was able to like take a day off. Yeah. I remember when we went to worlds, I I was speaking to one of the world's qualifiers and Mm -hmm. he said he didn't even play on the last day that he had built up such a lead that. Because the thing is other people, playing doesn't technically guarantee that they will pass you that is true like all the time is is it's time for you to potentially catch up to people who are winning but if you if your win rates aren't good then that time spent won't necessarily be any better like you won't be any better off for it if i take a nap for 12 hours and then you keep playing for 12 hours but you lose just as many Many games games as you you win yeah you're probably not overtaking me yeah so in that regard, I will say that it could you could argue that the whole 72 hours not sleeping thing is a player imposed thing. Like we are we are I say we as like I don't play the dual scott, but like the players doing this are doing it just kind of of their own accord. They're choosing to be that locked in and addicted and like if that's the case then they kind of maybe chose their fate. Is is it weird that it feels this feels similar to our previous conversation where um some of our gripes with uh, Yu-Gi-Oh, uh, you can look at as kind of a self-inflicted thing that we we do play some role in this. Mm-hmm. There is that really, really bizarre, like, I don't know if I call this, like, Stockholm Syndrome again, but there's definitely, like, a you just, if you take Yu-Gi-Oh really seriously, you could find yourself thinking that, like, the system is asking you to do that. Mm-hmm. But, like, in Master Duel's defense, in Konami's defense, no one is making you play for the 72 hours. No one's even making you play in the Duelist Cup. Like, it's it's a tricky one, because while I think a better system could exist, I also think, like, you can just get good, or you can just ignore it, or you can, like, no one is making you 
play like anything. And right. so that like so at first I was like, okay, I think the Duelist Cup is just this toxic mess. Now I'm finding myself a little bit more in the middle where it's like, I like a better system, but like we can't say that like the player base or the community is like faultless here. Like there are people that are maybe just choosing to put themselves through this and making it seem like the norm because if everyone else, if like if a certain set of people are doing it, then more people will feel like they have to do it to like keep up. But because that's you? really the quantity over quality approach. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you quickly, you scoop the games that you don't think you're going to win as fast as you can. And you just start and you play, you play into games you're going to win. And you do that as many times as you can over these 72 hours to try and just like bump your name up. Mm-hmm. But the, the opposite point of view is like you said, you kind of, if you got good and if your deck just, building is good, if your play is build, good. Yeah. If you took even the games that you think you might lose, if you win those two, so you win the games you're supposed to win, then you win the, you, you win the games you're supposed to lose. Maybe not all of them, but let's more say, of them. let's say more of them than most. I think like your point totals will actually just be significantly higher than just going, 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 just, yeah, and that actually uh, is a, a small, a nice little segue into a side point I have about Master Duel that I have pointed out to people, and like some people agree with and some disagree with, is like I've been playing Master Rank for a while now. I usually get to Master Rank most seasons. He's always on back. flexing, Hats man. On back. No, uh, I don't say it because like it's like the world's greatest thing, but rather because it sort of will it'll enforce the next point I'm going to make, which is that like. I think people give up too easily in Master Duel. Uh, I like I, I see a lot of people just they scoop games really fast. Like mm-hmm. they give up. It's like okay, someone played Maxi, I quit. Someone impermed or asked my first play, I quit. I met, slightly messed up some little thing of a combo, I quit. Like I bricked, I quit. And it's interesting because I'll see people like they'll quit against me, and I'm like, what? Like why did you quit here? Because like my hand, my hand was a brick, and they didn't know it. But, like, they just saw me imperm the one thing. Like, I had an imperm and a dead, unplayable hand. But because I impermed their starter and they feel like they can't come back, they give up anyway. And I'm always like, you got to kind of have some grit to, like, see those games through. Because you would be so surprised your opponent could have bricked or, like, your opponent can misplay. And I think that you you give, like, you're, you're handing out free wins. And so the Master Rank thing comes into that because, like, in Master Rank, losing costs you like a lot of time like you have to win five consecutive games to rank up in master rank compared to four in the other ranks and like losing means that like you tumble back down you have to win another extra game on top of it and so like a a, a nightly session of playing in master rank could be and this happens to me a lot is like okay you need to win five games to rank up i win one i lose one i win one i lose one i win three in a row then i lose two in a row then i win one more then i lose another and like and it can just you can kind of literally like end up just not even making progress or even regressing if your if your wins aren't good. If so, what you were saying was if you only win the games that you think you're supposed to win, like the ones where you win the coin flip and you get your full combo and you quit every other game, well, it's a best of one coin flip game. Yep. So like you will literally so statistically you can just there is good reason to try to get through those games that feel hopeless because a the wins feel nice. And B, like, that is the difference maker in pushing your win rate to, like, 55-45 as opposed to 50-50. that's going to put you over the next guy. Yeah, and I think it applies a lot with the Duelist Cup even 
where instead of just seeing it as like for 72 hours, I will like just play, 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 play. And if it looks like I'm going to win, I'm going to like win. And if it looks like I'm going to lose, I should immediately quit out and like get in and queue into another game. Now, I remember when we used to compete more in the uh, physical game. Mm hmm. I remember us talking about how players scoop too much in Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. And, and this is before Master Duel even existed. But we used to talk about, oh, man, people, like, scoop too much. I was playing, we were, we we're playing in some, like, OTS or whatever. And, like, yeah, my opponent's kind of scooped after, uh, like, he bricked. I, I I played two cards and he scooped. And we were talking, man, players, just they just they scoop too fast. They don't know what's going to happen. They give up. But I, you know, something I've realized is in Master Duel, they scoop a lot faster. Yeah. And I think it's the um, it's the medium and the format that you're playing in. Mm-hmm. It's best of ones with an unlimited um, like it's best of ones, and the amount of rounds for the tournament are unlimited. Yes, it it's ve- I agree. So it makes you place significantly less emphasis on each individual game, mm-hmm. and maybe that's fine if let's say you're in silver, gold, even platinum. Mm-hmm. But I think. In master rank, and even during the duelist comp, I th- comp cup, I think uh, you should put more emphasis and more focus into each individual game, because, like you said, string together five wins in master rank is hard. Ooh, it's rough. Yeah. Everyone there also deserves to be in master rank, so that's not the easiest thing to do in the world. Not impossible, mind you, but it's gonna be harder. And then in the duelist cup, where there's a trip to worlds on the line. Yeah, it's one of those things, too, where, you know, like, and I cover this kind of in a little more detail in, like, a Master Duel Tips video I made a few days back, is, like, I mean, a lot of it comes down to grit, and a lot of it comes down to deck-building prep. He says y'all ain't built like him. Oh, no, I'm not saying, well, no. But, I mean, I just, when when you see, like, some of the more competitive types playing Master Duel, the big skill diff, so to speak, is in deck building. Like, it's in anticipating what the metagame is, not just resting on the laurels of, I'm playing a generally good deck, so I should just win. It's like I'm going to specifically like tech my deck out for the known threats and like and just those anything that can help me edge out wins that should have maybe looked like losses otherwise in these matchups. Mm-hmm. It makes the difference. So yeah, sorry. To, I mean, I kind of ended up on like a bit of a tangent, but the Duelist Cup. It's I don't think Konami's changing it. I mean, not if it's successful. Like it works for them. It gets people playing, and gets people playing. They can sh- they can show those shareholders. Look, people are playing. They and can't I, get enough master. They honestly, can't stop because of the format of this. Like you know, seventy two hours of this all out Yu Gi Oh action. I think that actually makes a lot of sales because mm-hmm. it's only seventy two hours. You let's say you're a day in, and your results haven't been exactly what you want them to be. So. You look at what you've played against, and you're like, I bet if I had that deck, I'd be winning right now. Yeah, oh, I, I like, bet there's so many new crafts, have, like yeah, more people crafting. You don't have a lot of time to build up more gems, so... You gotta hurry, hurry and spend that money on those gems. Pull out that debit card. Also, another benefit to it, too, was that uh, Master Duel's viewing numbers on, like, streams, like, across Twitch and stuff was way up the, um, those three days. Uh, so. Makes sense, makes sense. So there's definitely a... There are some some good externalities of the Duelist Cup. I like a, experimenting with new formats of it, mm-hmm. but I see the benefits. So fair. Okay. Uh, you know what's interesting is I don't think that there's actually any other like major Yu Gi Oh news. 
I mean, YCS Richmond is going to be happening this weekend. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, It's another full AGOV legal format. Another chance for Rescue Ace to show its dominance. Yeah. Or would a TCG fight back and show that we are not beholden to OCG formats? Yeah, well, let's change. We will see. But other than that, I don't actually have any other Yu-Gi-Oh stuff. I know we spent a fair bit of time talking about this. So Thank God. Let's get into the other fun stories where Paul doesn't have to bitch and moan. So, um, I have a, I have something about magic. Okay, you got a magic story. All yeah. right. Let's hear it. They announced another collab. Really? Already? We talked about the Marvel one, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, the Marvel one, we talked about that last week. Yeah, that was week. last week. So, what's, what are they So, got? now they're announcing a secret layer. Um, that's the limited release where it's only like a few cards, mm-hmm. not an entire set. But it's a secret layer collab with uh, Evil Dead, that franchise. What is Evil? I don't know. It's a. I've heard of it, maybe? Horror movie video game. I think there's a comic book. It's a, it's a it's a horror franchise. Um, okay. I'm now to be clear. I'm not. I'm actually a big um, horror guy. I respect horror movies. I just don't like watching them. So I know what Evil Dead is, but I haven't personally watched or played or anything with it. Okay. Any other like info on it? Like what they're gonna kind of be emphasizing? Like. Let's see what I got here. Oh my god! I'm I scrolled and I saw a card and. I'm not a horror guy. I'm not a horror guy, guys. And so... Oh, he just got a little terrified. I just saw... What is this? Linda Kandarian Queen. It's a Verena Lich Queen. I don't know what y'all are doing with Evil Dead, but this is creepy as hell. Hey, I mean, um, I guess that, that maybe that kind of creepiness is what they want. But why they uh, picked it. This will be a... This will be one of their, kind of one of their secret layer limited releases... We don't have all the cards that are in it yet, which makes sense. It was only just announced. But um, they're just going to try and capture what makes the Evil Dead franchise so beloved. What did they say? Is there like a, a is there like an article? Here we go. So this is an interview. Uh, with the recent announcement of the Secret Lair X Evil Dead Matt, I always because of anime, I always want to not like pronounce the x in things like oh yeah like hunter hunter yeah yeah hunter x hunter so the secret layer evil dead magic the gathering drop dread central that's the website was given an awesome opportunity to have an exclusive interview with the art director for shell shell over at secret lab along with an exclusive look at some really rad artwork okay so they ask that's not a question I mean, I, I'm, I'm interested in just, I'll hear it all, I don't know, whatever so, they've got to say. <clears throat> Evil Dead has such a long and storied, wow, okay, sorry guys, I'm ill. All right, Evil Dead has such a long and storied series through film, video games, and even TV. Were there talks about gathering iconic scenes from the entire series before landing on the film that started at all? The art director said, the whole Evil Dead franchise is just so iconic, I guess. Uh... And it just keeps building out that it, yeah, and it just keeps building out that incredible mythos. To be honest, there's enough amazing material in there to inspire hundreds of cards. That would terrify me. That being said, it all really came down to a matter of licensing. As we talked about before with these magic collabs, that licensing agreement is so specific. 
Yeah, it's, like, it's how it is in many, many companies. It says, our amazing partners over at Stryker Entertainment have the rights to the Evil Dead 1981. So that's the Evil Dead 1981 film. Okay. That's, yeah, yeah, that's the film. So our focus had to be on the original film and nothing beyond that. So that's ah, that kind of is in line with what we've come to expect from these magic uh, collaborations. Yeah, typically when these companies, I think, collaborate, almost in any fashion, whether it's these magic card collabs or whatever, it's usually like... They're not collabing with, like, the Evil Dead franchise. Yeah, not the whole franchise. They are usually collabing with, like, this aspect of it, typically, like, the original thing or the original maybe body work. Like, mm-hmm. I know, like, Lord of the Rings, I think it was, like, kind of the books, not really much more. Yep. And it seems like with, like, Marvel, it's like, okay, the comics, not the MCU, not maybe, like, other things. It's, like, the comics. So... Right. This sounds like was the Evil Dead like originally a movie or like a film? Yes. Okay. It, it was all in, I think it was all inspired by the film. It might have been. No, I think it was a film. So it wasn't like based on a book per se or something like that. I don't think. Don't think so. so. But once again, guys, I'm not an Evil Dead guy. I'm just familiar with it. Okay. Well, you are an evil guy. You uh, probably feel like a dead guy today. So uh, a little bit. Uh, so you're an Evil bit. Dead guy now. <laughs> so it says, um, "What was the process like picking out key moments to adapt?" to magic so he says that's a great question since this drop is comprised of reprints of popular magic cards that's important to mention too that typically these are just um reprints of current of current current cards oh with the coat of paint of like that is really neat i didn't know that so it's always a balancing act of picking resonant moments from the ip that are also a good fit for the gameplay design of the cards while making sure the cards were picking the cards we're picking are good representations of the IP. Once the list of reprints was finalized, it was a matter of working with the team to identify the scenes from that first movie that would fit the mechanics while also telling the story about iconic moments. Right, okay. Well, that's cool. I mean, you know, I will say what I typically say about... This is this is Linda, the Kandarian Queen, and I think that's the artwork it's based off of. Oh, that is a little terrifying. Yeah, not a fan. I'll have to remember to, to get that in when I... Edit, um, but or you guys just look it up if nothing else. Yeah, I mean that's cool. I I think that that kind of terrifying style feels like it's a nice match for like magic. It's sort of what comes to mind for me at least when I think of mm-hmm. it. Uh, it feels maybe a little more fitting than like My Little Pony, but also they've done enough of those My Little Pony collabs, and maybe that's normal too. Magic so. has a goofy side to it. They don't mind just. I realized the goofy that. Card game. I realized that when we were opening, when you and Larry were doing like the Wilds of Eldraine, I think, where it mm-hmm. had like the, the the Cookie Monster Gingerbread House stuff, uh, like Ginger Brute. Yeah, so I, I do realize that like, Magic has like more sides to it. Um, speaking of Magic: The Gathering, I don't actually have a story, but or, or not like a news story, but rather just a, a, a quick anecdote. So a few weeks ago, we were talking about how Magic is introducing the Play Booster, which is going to be combining mm-hmm. the Set Booster and the Draft Booster, and so and I went then to discontinuing them. Yeah, discontinuing each of those and just, like, combining them into this one new set that's supposed to, I guess, the intention is that it can be used for draft play, but can also just be open kind of like normal, like a normal set booster would. Right. And it is better for card shops and better for players and all these things that, you know, Wizards at least maybe would like you to believe. And not saying that I doubt them, I don't play this game. I'm just saying, like, that's that's their sales pitch. Well, anyways, I figured, okay, well, I'm going to go to locals, and I'm going to ask uh, my local sort of magic people who like work at the card shop um we do have a lot of magic yeah we have a few magic there. people and i asked a few and like a couple different employees and um they seem to have like mixed opinions i cautious optimism was probably how i would 
describe it. Um, you don't have a choice, really. Some maybe causes pessimism. Like, it was interesting, like, hearing people kind of have these thoughts of, like, okay, how will this change the draft experience? Because they're changing the amount of cards in the pack, apparently. And then also, like, the, the structure of them will be, like, like apparently Magic Draft, um, to my understanding, is something that is really, uh, it's very it's a very, like, fine-tuned thing, the way that, like, mm-hmm. these packs are constructed for draft. And so uh, it's even just slightly changing that is a big deal. So um, there were, that was where, like, there was some cautious sort of I mean, some Magic caution. is one of the few games where the draft format is actually, like, people look forward to playing it. It's actually quite popular. It's the only game that really dedicates, like, that I maybe Flesh and Blood does. I might be. I mean, I I'm not that familiar but, with Flesh and Blood's game like that. But yeah, I feel like Magic's the only game that I see where it's like there is a specific like kind of set released for draft. And uh, people, so. people, they actually want to play it. I feel like in like Yu Gi Oh and other games, you know, if we, if we have to, you know, sure. So, but. yeah, Yu Gi Oh is just like long since past the point of being draftable in mainline sets. Like if you want draft. You gotta like go back to the battle packs or maybe try speed duel, but like And look, Konami tried yeah. to like push draft in like into like the main thing, yeah, thing like all YCSs. And Yu-Gi-Oh! players said, No, we want constructed only. And I get it because like the way that Konami did it, I think, was a bit heavy handed. I think I like it from a like stylistic kind of flavor perspective, but the way that Konami did it, this is back in 20, maybe thir- 12 or 13. Oh, you um, old? Or maybe it was 11, I don't know. But, like, they did uh, this thing where when they first released the Battle Pack Epic Dawn, at YCS's top cut, like top 32 or top 16, depending mm-hmm. on the size of the YCS, would change from constructed to draft. Like, you play Battle Pack draft on the spot there. And that was kind of unheard of at the time, at least for Yu-Gi-Oh! So, basically, you know, imagine you go to YCS with the deck that you made... And then if you make it to day two, and then you eventually make it to top cut, you're then forced to draft. I think it was kind of cool because it's it's testing for a very different skill set. Can you win when you are kind of in in no real control of the variables? Some would say that's the mark of a true Yu-Gi-Oh! Player. Yeah, like a true duelist, maybe like Yu-Gi-Oh! Kaiba might agree, that's like a mark of a true duelist is being able to adapt on the fly. But in the real world... When you spent hundred bucks on your prosperities and your little knights and your thrusts, I'm trying to use them cards. <laughs> yeah, you probably don't want to. So I get why players maybe didn't. Uh, it didn't go over too well. I still think that it could be neat though to see like a concerted, like a, a side event that is draft, mm-hmm. and not just like a public event thing, but like a true secondary YCS that is like draft. I don't know. You know, resource wise, that might be tough to allocate the staff and the planning and like the balancing of the format for that it would be cool i think i mean i think the goal of it was to i mean one to like popularize and move the product but i think the larger goal was to put duelists onto the same playing field mm-hmm. and so that like how much money you invested will not affect uh who wins this tournament yeah you, you could, could argue it's fully the best a skill will win yeah. But but that's actually not true when it comes to draft and with the battle packs. Um, it's not an equal playing field. 
there are only so many copies of the best cards in those draft packs and you might not see them and yeah and it can be swingy i've for played sure. a, i've played a lot of draft at this point mm-hmm. we both have we know yeah. like yeah some of those battle packs can be really swingy i mean like we were recently doing a um just a little behind the scenes we were doing like a tag duel uh we we're trying to do a tag duel video with battle pack epic dawn mm-hmm. not sure if we're gonna upload the video because uh, the way that it was it was hard to like film the whole field and the camera and there was some glare on the cards throw it up anyway yeah i might throw it up on on like aps amplifier if people like really want that let me know nah, main channel make them suffer oh, they're gonna complain they'll hate it uh, i can't see anything they're playing but um like it, it can be really swingy like just the way the drafting process works and there's a few different ways you can draft like you can do the kind where it's just you get your like 10 packs you open them all and that's just like your pool of cards yeah, there's also cards. the pass around the table method and all that stuff but either way, like, with Battle Pack 1, and I think this is kind of before they had really gotten their footing with the Battle Pack thing, there's some strong-ass cards in that set. Very, because, I mean, they're, they're banned cards yeah, in there, like and they're got, banned for a reason. Yeah, they have, like, Harpy's Feather Duster, Raigeki, Snatch, Steel, Premature Burial, like, a lot of that stuff is in there. And then in addition to just other good cards, but, like, if you don't pull some of them, they could... So. Like, for uh, context, uh, I remember we did that draft, and mm-hmm. and this isn't me like woe is me, I didn't pull like I didn't pull any of those like good cards because like yeah. in, in, in when you draft, um you you pass the cards around but that fir- when you first crack open the pack you as the uh, person as the holding person who it, it's it. first choice yeah you get a bit of an advantage so, so if you ever if you ever crack open like a good banned card you just take it immediately mm-hmm. that never happened for me yeah. With the fun, of course, being that if you if you were to say like open a pack that has like Raigeki and Feather Duster, then you get to like pick you know, or like if you had a pack of like Snatch Steel and Premature Burial, like which do you pick? So it can be kind of fun, but it can Creature definitely be swap it can be swingy. Was my card so that was my best card. Yeah, that was just kind of an interesting thing. I always like to, even though I don't play Magic, I've just gotten more and more into asking other people what they think of the things developing in their scenes. So, but. If they did a Harry Potter collab, you would play. Yes. Yes, Heard that, Wizards. That's my confirmation. If Magic the Gathering does a Harry Potter collab, I will start playing. I will collect the cards. I will build a deck. I will play. Wait, what if it does it? But based off the books, the movie, or the play? If they make a Harry Potter collab, I'll play. That's... that's, Even if it's based off of... The Cursed Child... uh, not the Cursed Child. Um, I mean, that's the one that everyone hates. The um, Fantastic Beast franchise. Yeah, I'll play that. Really? Well, because Fantastic Beast is not to get too into the Harry Potter thing. <laughs> Fantastic Beast is like book canon, is their claim. So it's supposed I don't to be know. consistent. I read that with book the as a book. child. It didn't look nothing like that. Well, no, 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 no. Not the the book Fantastic Beast and where to find them, but the Fantastic Beast films are supposed to. They are in line with not movie canon, but book canon. Though there are a lot of instances of the movies still That's it, not we're a Harry really... Potter uh, podcast. All right, elaborate. There's a whole thing. <laughs> Look, watch Super Carlin Brothers. Okay, don't watch this. I've... Anyways, yeah, if they make a Harry Potter collab, I will play it. All right, that is all for magic, at least for me. Yeah, same here. Uh... I've got some Pokemon stuff. What though. you got? Okay, so this is interesting. Um, There's two. The first one is just kind of like a neat interest story. So... <laughs> Pokemon TCG player unearths discontinued set while out at sea. So, wait. So, when you use the term unearth, I, w- I really thought that wasn't literal. 
I mean, <laughs> yeah, so the hunt never stops for Pokemon TCG hits, and one lucky collector has discovered a hidden treasure on the high seas. Who knew cruise ships were hiding potential pulls this whole time? Hey, oh, it's so, in the ship. Yeah, I think it was in the, in the cruise ship. I thought, I thought it was in the ocean. I thought I mean, like it was in the ocean. He like fished it up. Um, he had so, a whalemer and they taught it dive. Yeah, so uh, the most exciting part is that potential pulls can come in surprising places. And Reddit user um, Apri Balls Brian, Apri Balls Brian, may have found the best one yet. They stumbled across, I don't know, a treasure trove. Of discontinued Pokemon TCG sets in a cruise ship arcade. Um, and they showed some pictures. I'll try to remember to add them onto... Um, it was on a Norwegian cruise. And they found what looks like Shining Legends, which is like an older set. And then like Evolutions, Sun and Moon, Burning Shadow. Shining Legends? Isn't that the one with like a Volpix on the cover? Uh, well, usually I think that they like the sets will have like a lot of different oh, potential so. cards. But yeah, so they set their sights on this prize in an arcade machine, like a pulley machine or whatever. And they went to work farming tickets to snag the box. It's a good thing they did because it can fetch anywhere between $350 to $500 USD unopened. Hey. So um, collectors in the thread were floored at uh, April Balls Brian's luck and wished they had their good fortune. Quote, if I was on that cruise, you'd see a grown-ass man in the arcade furiously playing at 3 a.m., one user admitted. That's what April That's what April Balls was doing? When asked if they planned to rip the boxes in the, the boosters in the box, they said they wanted to keep it sealed as a collector's item, which most people agreed was a good choice. I would keep it sealed since most of the cards in that set are not worth too much, one user concurred. It's one of those cases, I think, where, like, it's worth more unopened than yeah. opened. We know all about that, huh, Paul? Yeah, we we really I I'm not gonna lie. When I look back, we we rare hunters and like, and even some of those old like structured or starter deck things and structure deck things, we were just opening history like for YouTube videos. Oh, but it was fun. It was, it was fun. I enjoyed myself. Like, goddamn. Like, so, um. Anywho, yeah, that's the story. Is kind of a interesting. What have you found? I'm still like some rare stuff in an arcade machine on a cruise. I think it's like. That reminds me of, like, carnival, like, prizes. And my biggest worry is if it would just be, like, a repackaged and resealed thing. Like, it's not even real. That's true. That could happen. (laughs) Especially, like, if you think about, like, what usually goes in those, like, arcade machines. It could be anything. It's like, it's, 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 it's like, Timu fakes, but Timu didn't exist back then. It is that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) right. I mean, there were some fake-ass Yu-Gi-Oh cards, like, out in the wild back when we were kids. You'll still find them every so often. Feels like this, like the same. They all came from like one place and just got disseminated everywhere. Yeah. So the other story is um, one that probably is better, like shown visually. So like, I'll just sort of, I'll read it out for audio listeners, but it might be a, an article that you just check out yourself. Can I see it. Um, there's not great illustrative pictures for it, but there's a few. So I'll show you what I've got. Anyways, this is this article where somebody got a inside look at the secrets behind how Pokemon cards are made, from clay carvings to grueling play tests. Clay carvings being like how they make the art for the cards. Oh, okay. Anyways, Creatures Inc. pulls back the curtain on the specially commissioned artists and dedicated team of testers behind their trading card game phenomenon. So, um, blah, 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 blah. There's a bit of an intro. The company that creates them, Creatures Inc., talking about Pokemon cards, is usually shrouded in secrecy. Um, sitting in the shadow of Tokyo's Imperial Palace, the building is everything a Japanophile would hope for. Um, in the lobby, a vast wooden decking overlooks a picturesque field of water decking. lilies, a massive green tendril swaying in the wind. Okay, this is 
listen. <laughs> I'm just trying to get to this. This is quite verbose. <laughs> okay. From core concepts to final printed design, each new card set takes a year to develop, their creators explain. Whenever new game software comes out, the TCG, or trading card game, also follows the new Pokemon and their game mechanics logic, says TCG game director Atsuchi Nagashima. In charge of determining the actual rules of the card game, Nagashima is responsible for ensuring that card battles remain fun and fair. He says, I don't, be- or I believe that Pokemon cards should be enjoyed in many different ways, so I think it's fine that people collect the cards and don't play with them. I think the reason people love the card game is fundamentally that love of Pokemon first, and for many people, it's just fun to collect them. It's that essence of where, as a child, you enjoy being outside, searching, capturing, and playing. And this is why I believe the TCG has been loved across generations. Okay, that's good and well. Where's the information? There so, here's something cool. Um, Creatures Inc. employs over 240 freelance artists, and the aim is for no two Pokemon cards to ever look the same. From the expected anime-esque aesthetic that, designed the early, that defined the early designs to more abstract hallucinogenic um, interpretations of Pokemon, the eye-catching art is a large part of what drives people to spend staggering sums on booster packs. He says, we're always trying to find more variety in terms of the artist's styles, uh, says illustration director Haru Saito, flanked by three of Pokemon's most beloved artists. So we've always had a heated discussion about which artists are the best fit for which cards. We're always trying to offer new surprises and new styles of illustration to keep the cards interesting. Um, Ghidorah, a relatively new artist at the company, has made a name for himself with cards that showcase their relationship between trainers and their Pokemon. His work aims to enrich the wider Pokemon lore, he tells me. Um, I really think that illustration can offer a new way to express the playfulness of the world of Pokemon, he says. Um... Another example is Yuka Mori. Her, while her, where each of her peers uses a pen or a paintbrush for their designs, she molds her creations out of clay. Painstakingly carving out her Pokemon, she fires them and then takes photos of her finished clay artwork in real-world environments for each card frame. That's fire. So, um, I won't go on too much more, but basically, yeah, the way that Pokemon does its visual designs is staggering to me. It honestly is... That was one of the first things I noticed about Pokemon as a kid, was how, like, the artwork is just all over the place. Let's call it diverse. In a good way, too. Like, you get, like, kind of paintings, you get more just anime art, you get, like, kind of just CG, like, kind of video game-like models, and mm-hmm. then there's, like, the clay figure ones. And as a kid, I was Impressive. always like... Well, it's like, wow, that's wild. As a kid, all I could imagine doing something like that was, like, muck. <laughs> like, yeah. that's the only Pokemon you'd make They got a clay, ditto. Or ditto. Yeah. Um, I made a ditto as a kid. So, uh, illustrators work as front and center on Pokemon cards, but behind the scenes, a lot more hard work goes into keeping competitive play balanced. Uh, work that falls to Creatures, Inc.'s unsung heroes, its internal game testers. Whenever a new card is designed, these 18 Pokemon sages crack their knuckles and put it through its paces. Their job is to play with Pokemon cards all day, every day. Wow. Unlike in video games, where a game-breaking attribute can be fixed via a quick patch, once the cards are printed, errors are often permanent. The aim, then, is to avoid a bug, like a card attribute that destroys the balance of the game, by pitting each new paper prototype against a staggering amount of deck combinations to ensure it plays nicely. R&D is crazy. It's interesting that they kind of un... kind of, like, just pull back the curtain on this. I mean... Like, you know my saying. It has been around for so long, like... Konami would never... Well, I mean, maybe. Konami would never. But. 
Konami, the Konami is so much more secretive about this stuff. I feel like a year ago we'd be saying the same thing about Pokemon. Pokemon would never. I guess you're right. I don't know, but even Pokemon credits artists. Fair. <laughs> so I mean, so there was all the fact that Pokemon credits artists. It meant that to me there was always at least a chance that they would be willing to like kind of pull back the veil. You get them credit those artists. They. They're, that's not. They're not in the business of I that. How many people <laughs> test Yu-Gi-Oh like cards and mechanics before they come out? I fear that it's either like st- staggeringly a lot or like staggeringly a little. And <laughs> Jerome is alone on dueling book with traded <laughs> cards. Just that would actually be really just running the gauntlet <laughs> night after night. Yeah, because like, I mean, we know a little bit of like Konami's. Like, we know, like, Jerome McHale is, like, Konami R&D and, like, Billy Brake and stuff. I don't know how many other people are just, are involved, especially, like, the Japanese no, just side. Jerome alone. He has to play against himself. Oh, my Lord. I really hope that's not the case. That poor man just testing freaking cash deer all day or something. Um, So, they say cards in general. Up, and that's how we got cash deer and deer. No, whoops, I forgot about this one. Cards in general take one to two months to test. Um... Grinning testers Kohei Kobayashi and Satori, Satoru Inoue tell me, the best case scenario is that a card makes it through the testing process in just three weeks. Playing four games an hour, their work days see them engaging in at least seven hours of rigorous battling. They constantly laugh and joke around throughout our chat, oozing an infectiously university flatmate-esque uh, camaraderie. So, yeah, it seems like a lot goes into... They're trauma bonding. They <laughs> are. A lot goes into testing these cards. I think it's cool. Like, just getting a bit of a look at this process. Guys, uh, for your card game of choice, would you do seven hours of continuous testing uh, every day for the rest of your life? I think it's one of those things that sounds quite attractive, but probably is very grueling. Like, I know, like, when I was a kid, I wanted to get into video game design. So I was, like, reading about just every job in the video game industry that a person could have. Like, oh, the mm-hmm. art designer, this designer, whatever, level design. And QA, like, qual- you know, quality assurance, like, and bug testing and stuff, was always one of those ones that, to each kid, sounds like the best job in the world. I get to play video games all day and, like, find glitches and bugs. <sighs> in reality, no. Like, it, it's very just, because you are just kind of, Throwing yourself at the same corner of a room like a hundred times at different angles and different speeds using different moves to make sure nothing clips. And then repeating it again. And then repeating it again. And then doing it in the next corner of the room. I got a buddy who does that uh, Q&A. Yeah, so... Um, he won't tell me what games Wait, Q&A or QA? Oh, that's... Yeah, that's different. <laughs> he does Q&A. Yeah, that's, that's a little different. That's a little different. But, um, yeah, so, I mean... I think doing it for card games probably seemed a little more fun because, I mean, like, you are, I guess, playing matches. So maybe that's better. I don't Is know. it fun? Really? I think but I would again, still I can't, I can't. Never mind. You'll play Master for hours. So maybe that is yeah, fun. But I won't play for 72 hours. I guess These people might be closer to doing that. There is a limit. So I don't know. It was just kind of an interesting little insight into um, just the process behind Pokemon. Um both art-wise and game-testing-wise, mm-hmm. and I'll just say this. Well, two things. First of all, uh, Pokemon Company, if you guys ever want to maybe send me out a little box or a package of some new Pokemon sets, I'd be happy to show them on video. I was jealous. Heard it here first, folks. When people were getting like those 151 little care packages sent out to them, I want to play Pokemon, too. I love 151 packages. 
They have not seen you play Pokemon, Paul. They My email address you. is in the description. Anyway, um, but no, more importantly, I wish that Konami, even to some degree, would be willing to kind of like pull back the veil like this. And just show just just a shred, a smidgen. They'll show you. Of that. And they gotta hit you with the neuralizer. Yeah, that's right. You can see how Yu-Gi-Oh cards made. Now you die. Like you, now you forget. <laughs> like I showed you. you <laughs> they wipe remember. our memories. No, I mean, because I I can't say. I mean, I've seen like just small snippets, little slices of like the Konami, like machine. Just like when we've been like at Konami for like little videos and stuff. Allegedly, we may not remember the details. Yeah, they've deleted my uh, my memories of the time, but um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I would just love to see like they they have. I will say this. Wait, 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 wait. You just this remind this this now the joke continues because the last time we went to go we went to Konami's headquarters, uh, they'd switched. Yeah, they switched their headquarters. Yeah, they're and like a different building. We or were walking like, wasn't their headquarters like right here? And we were walking around like, yeah, maybe. It, it like, felt like, like, um, <laughs> what is the what is the the effect where it's like, did this really happen? Oh, the Mandela. Yeah, effect. the Mandela effect or something. Where it's just like, I thought there. So for context, like, I don't even know the addresses of wherever Konami is. You can look it up on Google. It exists. But somewhere. like, they had one building that was on this one street, and we went there a few years ago for like a community day thing that was around the release of um, was it like Blazing Vortex See, or something? Look how fuzzy our memories are. Yeah, this is this is this is pre COVID. They neuralized um, us. It was these like things where like Nim Nim and Team Samurai X One. We were all there, and it was a thing, and it was cool. And we went to Konami's like headquarters, and it was it was neat. Um, very secretive experience. But it was like a specific building in a specific place. And Alec can tell you, I've got a pretty photogenic memory. He like, does. That's why it's just so like, weird. I, I know where like things just kind of are. Even if I haven't been there for many, many years. I just know, like, okay, like this is where it was. This was the building. And so when we went this past like, uh, month or so for, like, the Rush Duel thing, we were, like, kind of trying to find where, like, where the headquarters was. And I was like, this isn't here anymore. Like, what happened to this? And so it kind of felt like this weird Mandela effect thing. Like, was it ever here? Like, did they, like, delete, like, kind of just replace our memories? It's like, we, turns out they neuralized us during that trip. That's why That's right. we're like, man, we were we were so close to finding the building, we realized we had been standing in it the whole time. Yeah, so so they had, like, moved their headquarters building. I thought it's kind of a, a neat thing. But, yeah, I would like to see Konami kind of be like, hey, here's kind of the art process. Now, they have been showing more art. On, like, their social media pages? Yeah. The, like, uh, concept yeah. art and stuff? Know, like, or? At first, it was just the um, the Japanese Twitter. But then, I think ours started picking them up afterwards, too. Yeah, I think even with some translations, which has been kind of nice. Yeah, like, recently we saw that uh, Diabelle Star yeah. is a drunken girl failure, as I saw somebody wow. describe it on Twitter. <laughs> and they were, like, joking, but just, like, she... She, she day drinks, it seems, like, pretty much. and We don't know if during the day... <laughs> like, so, I don't know. I, I like Diabelle Start, but I, I feel like the character is a cross between Vasha Stampede and like Spike Spiegel. Yeah, uh, she she's like she, she's got like a personality. She it's gonna be a fun new lore kind of thing to follow. Very different from uh, Albaz and um, Visus Starfrost, which is such a strange name. Yeah, you know what? Diabelle Star is a weird name too. Here's a, okay, here's a quick little bit on like the Visus monsters. So I I love the art for like the big kind of heart monsters, Kaleido yeah. heart, um, 
like uh, Arise Heart and all that. Arise, Reich. Yeah, Reich Heart, Try Heart, all those. But Uh-oh. they're so complex. Like they're, they feel almost too complex to fit on trading cards. But I think that was the goal. Mm-hmm. Visus is supposed to look very plain and ordinary, even boring. And then these are all supposed to be these extremely grand and uh, really define the emotions that they're supposed to portray. Yeah, I will say, I'm um, going to you know, harp on Masterful. Wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't. No harp. I love how just insane. Oh, he meant harp like this. Uh, yeah, I love how insane they look when they're summoned. I love their summon animations. Like, I, I don't know if you've, like, played, like, against TR Elements or anything, like, on Masterful at all. No? Lucky. Uh-huh. Like, just when, like, Kaleido Heart gets summoned, it's, like, one of the dark monsters. So, like, it kind of has the dark effect and a little sound effect. It's like, like, it just sounds very evil. Yeah. And so, just when it gets summoned, the art's so crazy and the darkness is just behind it. And just, like, it seems like there's just this, it's so overwhelmingly evil and I kind of love it. And the same thing with Kaleido, or with, sorry, Ar- Kashdira Arise Heart. He's got the really cool, like, trident-like weapon, and it's just the art is so red. Is halberd? There was a thread on Reddit. I'm, I'm tangenting now. There was a thread on Reddit where someone was like, what is Arise Heart's weapon? That's a great question. And it kind of looks like a trident to me, but also it could be described as, like, a halberd or, like, sort of a battle axe thing. But I, I don't know how to define each and every one of these weapons. I have an idea of what they look like in my head, but I don't know... What defines a halberd? What defines a battle axe? What defines a trident? All I can say is that, like, it's a pole arm. Yeah. That would be... So anyways, though, like, when he gets summoned, it's, like... It's just funny because it's, like, the the art is so, like... It's so deep and complex and, like, red. And just you hear the darkness sound and just, like, the... Say goodbye to your cars. It's just... And he's just there. And it's... I guess it does a good job of being extremely imposing. So despite the fact that I hate Castera Rise Heart to the bottom of my soul, when he gets summoned, I can't help but be like a little excited. So fair. Anyways, that's all for for my tangent. I'm sorry. So let's sorry. take a spin over to Bandai. Yay! Let's hear it. So I want to start off with the Digimon TCG. We just got the um, the. Oh, so there's multiple Bandai news. Yes, there's multiple. Okay, guys, Bandai cast. Let's do it. So. The, the, the Ultimate Cup just got its 2020, uh, what, what what year is it right now? It is 2023. So it got its 2024 update, which I think it also counts for the December of this year's Ultimate Cup as well. Mm-hmm. So historically, or not historically, but for the last year and maybe then some, Ultimate Cups have been an alternative format where we play monocolor. Where uh, typically in the Digimon card game, you can play whatever colors you want in your deck. But in Ultimate Cups, you had to play one. Okay. So that made it kind of a limited format, and you could compete in it. And it was it was nice because it meant you could escape from the um, the actual metagame, the multicolor metagame, which, you know, it can be it can be rough, it can be toxic. But, I mean, people found out monocolor wasn't, wasn't be, much better. Yeah, it can be just the same. But the Ultimate Cup was always supposed to be modular. It was supposed to be able to change. And we now know what the next Ultimate Cup will be like. Okay. So they posted this document. Uh, this was on November 2nd. I think today's the 3rd. So yesterday. It says there are no additional color restrictions on deck building for this event. It says no additional. But for the most part, that means that there are no color restrictions. You okay. can you can build You can play the way you want. They're, they're, they're enacting mulligans. 
the it will use the banner restricted list, the official one, so it won't they won't be using an an, an ultimate cup exclusive ban list. But then it says see eligible list of products below for card legality. Okay, eligible list of products. So does that mean that it's limited by recent products? Oh, so it feels like what they're basically doing, if if I'm understanding this right, is they're changing it from a monocolor format to a rotating set format. Yes. Interesting. Now, I I don't think it it doesn't say if it um if it's properly rotating, kind of like yeah. how Pokemon does. Like if there's like a set structure to it or if it's just what we kind of say at a time. But it has a hard it has a hard like start and and and, and stop for cards you can play. Okay. So it pretty much starts with the Resurgence Booster set, which was our reprint set. I told you about that, Paul. Mm-hmm. The two new the two new starter decks, those are the ace starter decks. Uh BT fourteen Blast Ace, that's what's coming out in a few weeks actually. That's coming out here. Mm-hmm. Uh some promos from that set. Promos from that set. Promos, promos, that's a lot of promos. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So basically at least for December and January Ultimate Cups, the only products you'll be using are Resurgence Booster, Starter Decks, BT14, and EX5. And I guess all the promos that come out in between those products. But those that's it. That's, that's the format. Okay. So I know a lot of our listeners might not really be super familiar with Digimon. Do you feel like this is a significant uh. change to... I mean, like, it sounds like it's like, you're really oh, yeah, going from one type of thing to, like, another type of thing. It's huge because there are so many older cards in the Digimon card game that are kind of they're kind of like staples. They bolster their colors and make decks and strategies better just by existing. And it was this was a rumor uh, years ago at this point that Bandai was considering making all of their like first few sets obsolete. This is their way of doing it. But this, but it, but it's only an ultimate cup, only which is its cup. own format and its own. There's their own tournaments, uh, so it doesn't actually have to affect you at the local level. Your locals can choose to play ultimate cup rules if they want to or not. They don't have to. Okay, so so it's an alt format, but it's comp- but it will be completely different, even more so than um, than the old ultimate cups were. So good or bad to you? To me. Good. Um, Excited. A lot of players, they get disenfranchised with card games when they... Because people, in this current card game climate, people are ping-ponging around on different card games. And when they start missing sets, they're like, oh, well, I can't get back into Digimon now, so I haven't played since Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But here it's like, well, the only set you can play with came out in the last, like... Six months or something. Yeah, even less than that. Oh, less than that. Yeah, it's like in the last two months, so... They're on the shelf still. If you if you want to you want to get in, yeah, you know that is one of those like really unsung benefits of um of just having like rotation formats is it makes a game easier to jump back into mm-hmm. because for so many people in Yu Gi Oh they they get back into Yu Gi Oh and it's just like man what I've just missed so much I've missed just years and years of like new staples new strategies new like kind of just engines and things like that. And, like, sometimes Yu-Gi-Oh! engines are just the thing from the last year. But other times, there's, like, engines that have that released in, like, you know, 2019, let's say, that are, like, mm-hmm. still technically played or cards or whatever. 
or 2018. So if you like got out in 2016, you get back in 2023. There's just like this, you know, six, seven years worth of things to like catch back up on. So I do like that if a, a game has a rotation, it feels easier to play. So it sounds like this is a good, this is like a probably good thing. There's actually, there's a lot here, honestly. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I want to say is I've always gotten the impression that BT14 Blast Ace was supposed to be a bit of a, a reboot kind of set. Like they want people to treat this as a new starting point for the Digimon card game. It's what brings in all the hand trap support. So before we only had like two. Mm-hmm. And we got some cards that work with them. And they're all right. But in BT14, we're getting a bunch of them for right. every different color. And it's going to, you're going to, we're going to play the game completely differently. And we just got the Resurgence Booster, which reprints all, pretty much all the useful old cards and not a lot of the uh, filler that no one really needs. So with just those, so BT14 and Resurgence Booster, if you're playing a format with pretty much just those, mm-hmm. that's that's like a way, that's, you can get into the game pretty much for the first time with just those products. You're not going to be at a disadvantage at all because... No one can you. No one can even use older cards. Yeah, and this is going to be strong. Like yep. B- BT fourteen is going to power creep everything from before, with or without a limited format. Like, yeah, interesting. I mean, I as someone again who like I don't really like follow a lot of Digimon, so hearing like this entire format change sounds very exciting. Oh, and this. Like, a lot of the cover cards for this set are from the original uh, Digimon Adventure series. So, Agumon, Gabumon. Venusaur, Vino- Blastoise, Charizard. No, don't mix franchises. Dark Magician, Blue Eyes. They did eyes. go back to the original adventure. So, if you're a fan of that, well, you should, you'd be excited because Definitely they're in there. The hallmark of a reboot, in a way. Mm-hmm. Kind of a new interpretation of the creatures you love so much. They even added in stuff from their very latest Digimon project, which is uh, Digimon Seekers. Uh, I know a lot of you guys don't know what that is. That's because you have to read. Um, it's a... <laughs> oh, yeah, they wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, it's like a web novel series that they're running. It's a it's a new Digimon franchise that's telling a story about Digi Police and then Digi Hackers and it's a whole it's a whole thing and you actually get cards for that are in that story in this set. So it's a great jumping on point for multiple reasons. Okay, so what's the uh, player reception looking like so far? For I like this, I catch his breath. He had I, I kind of did. I'm not gonna lie to you. Talking, but um. So this is, it. it's mixed. I've already seen people saying, you guys really don't know what the player base wants. And I've seen people saying, I wanted this. I voted for this. There was a survey that went out um, some months ago where I think something along the, the this these changes were in the survey. A survey? Yeah, a survey. Well, it must be nice. Hey, look, some people, you know, some, some, some card games get care, them, some you know, don't. Some <laughs> yeah. care, I don't know. Like, well, Master Duel does surveys, I can't complain. It's very mixed, and because I've been ill, I haven't really been, um, I haven't been on social media enough to truly gauge player reaction to it, but I'm interested. Uh, I wasn't a fan of the Ultimate Cups monocolor system before, because it just was so heavily blue favored. They had, mm. blue had the best cards, like, and they could just, Move them from one deck to another, and so this sounds refreshing. I mean, hey, listen, I think Digimon could do with it because uh, it's kind of a little segue into something that's not a story, but like your Digimon video in APS Amplifier, Alec did a video. I did. 
um, about kind of some issues he had with the current state of the Digimon card game, and it really picked up a surprising I amount apologize. of traction. Uh, tell us a bit more about, I mean, like, how are you feeling about it post-release? Uh, I didn't think the video was going to get as many views as it did. Um, I was just kind of making a video to give my opinions, because I was kind of, I was, was kind of, like, hot over um, the banlist issues with uh, Digimon. I've, I've never been a fan. I haven't been a fan of, of Digimon Bandless since the, like, first or second one. Just for a first-time listener, what is it about the Bandless, just in short, that... Uh, in short? Don't... Okay, I'll try to sum it up. We get our Bandless in the West at the same time they get their Bandless in the East. So it's a shared Bandless that even gets enacted at the same time but we're playing in two completely different formats. A lot like Yu-Gi-Oh! OCG versus TCG, where they're a couple sets ahead of us. And, it, and but so... we have our own ban list. We have our own... Yeah, but so it's like, they're a couple sets ahead of us, but yeah, in our case, we have our own ban list, but in Digimon's case, they don't. Yeah, we so. don't. And, and we also, we don't necessarily have the same card. We don't have the same card pool, or even... Um, well, I guess our rulings are the same, which is nice, but that's really it. And so it causes... Some, some disconnect and it causes I'm trying not to rant here that's okay uh, go can, off king it can be infu- a little infuriating because what that what that results in a lot of times strong decks get hit in the west before we can even play them now in the past those lists would go into effect maybe like a couple weeks after we get the cards. So you could argue, well, you had two weeks to play them. Great. I had two weeks to play them. Right. But um, I think with this, th- this most recent list, it goes into effect, I believe, the same week that the product comes out. So yeah. you don't get to uh, use those, those cards in those full power strategies at all. Not legally. But... This news actually gave me some more clarity. Okay. Because it specifically says that the Ultimate Cup will use our official ban list. It won't have its own. And remember how I told you before, they hit a bunch of older cards. And while I still don't completely agree with it, this could have been a hit more for the Ultimate Cup than for our main format that... Mm. Aizmon, Gabumon, and I'm blanking on some other cards. That's interesting to me because I felt like a a ban list should focus primarily on the main format, unlike balancing that. I I agree. I do think that's how it should be, but that also might have helped inform their decision to hit what they did because I remember reading the comments on my video because it was way more popular than I expected. Um, there there were even players of the uh, Japanese format saying that, yeah, we, we hate those ban lists too. Um, they come out too late for us. And then they, they hit cards that aren't relevant to us anymore. And um, we don't get help in our formats as they're actually happening. Yeah. So it kind of sounds like either Bandai needs to have two separate initiatives, like two separate sort of teams, one handling the sort of West and one handling maybe the East of the game, or just merge the releases entirely so that like, New set comes out same day and date, 
for everybody, yeah. and that way we all kind of are playing that. Same. And I understand that's a logistical nightmare. So give us two lists, Bandai. All right, like yeah, be Yu Gi Oh basically. Yeah, be Yu Gi Oh. You know what, what? What could go wrong? What could go wrong <laughs> with being Yu Gi Oh? Uh, but speaking of uh, Bandai and that very problem, there's actually a Bandai card game that does not have that specific issue. It has a whole different one, I assume. It does. It, it actually does. I'm trying to open it now. Why did this ad show up? Why is my ad block not working? Yeah, that's how it is on YouTube now. They're, they're blocking those ad blockers. Like, if you try to watch videos, it's like, you've got an ad blocker or whatever. Turn it off or get premium. All right, here we go. So, the One Piece card game got a ban list recently. Oh, okay, yeah. So, I've heard about this a little bit. Um, is this its first ban list? No, it's not the first. Oh, it's ban just a list. major one. But okay, I, yeah, I would call it maybe their first major ban list. Okay, and it it's it drew an interesting uh, picture for me that I didn't realize before. I didn't realize that. Well, first of all, what is it? <laughs> what is the ban? Uh, what, list? Wait, what are the cards that are? Uh, I don't know if anyone knows. Well, I guess there's One Piece fans in the in the chat. All right, yeah, all so, three of you can hear. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I know One Piece is very popular. I'm just OP joking. OP01 Nami banned. OP02 Edward Nougat. Uh, that, that's Whitebeard for y'all who don't know. The leader card banned. OP02 Curly Dadan banned. And OP03 Marco. He's limited. Or what's their wording? Is it restricted? Is that yeah, restricted. Restricted. That's what they call it. So uh, they pretty much went all in on beating the mess out of Red. And um, good job. Uh, good, big ups to y'all. Um, I, we'll get into opinions about that later. But I realized that this this ban list was just for their English format, not their Japanese. Oh, okay. And I was like, wait. So unlike Digimon, they are giving it, them a, a more bespoke ban list. Exactly. And the crazy part is, like... It's warranted and like on target. Like they actually looked at and this, this, this shouldn't be weird, right? Because in Yu-Gi-Oh and other card games, this is normal. But they actually looked at the current One Piece format. They're this they're in they're in booster set four right now. Yeah. So their booster pe- booster set four format. They looked at tournament results and they saw that red decks were running shop. Mm-hmm. You know, other decks have won here and there, but by a large, like, majority, red decks are killing it. And that has stifled some interest in the card game, in the metagame of the card game, not the card game in general. The game's booming, but... Yeah. Okay, so, <clears throat> so it's very different than the Digimon thing. Yeah, very it's, different. Sounds like something you'd prefer. It's something I prefer very much. And I don't understand why One Piece gets this treatment, but Digimon does it. I know why, but I won't say it. Why? What is it? Because Bandai loves Dig- no. Bandai loves One Piece more than Digimon. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know when they chose to hate us. Well, I do think that maybe a, the most measured take I can give on it is probably just that they're like they know. Like I guess One Piece is a little more popular, so they feel that it maybe deserves a more resources or better like Digimon could be more popular but they don't give us the resources I think that now yeah that speaks to maybe my big thing and people have heard this on this podcast a billion times Ben I have so (coughs) gosh darn many card games I really don't um you know I just I really don't yeah like I just don't know how they plan to to like how they were ever really expecting to juggle all of these games 
Like, you know, they had Dragon Ball Super, they added Digimon, they added One Piece, there's Battle Spirit Saga, and you did a video just the other day about Battle Spirit Saga, and there were a lot of people oh, yeah, in the comments yeah. lamenting the fact that they liked Battle Spirit Saga, but just that it was dead on arrival because there's too many card games in the space, most of which belong to Bandai. I do try to tell people that the, ba the Battle Spirits card game, Battle Spirit Saga, is actually, like, really good. Um, just the me mechanics of the game are solid. So my fear, perhaps, is just that, like, you know, they're, they're just focusing on whichever one does best. It's like, throw everything on the wall, see what sticks, and the game that's doing the best gets the most attention. So, One Piece is the most popular, so we're just going to kind of give it what it needs, and every other card game can be damned. But they're treating this like there's a type of person who is called a Bandai card gamer who will just play anything they put out. Mm -hmm. And um, well, so when they, throw, when, they th when they throw the shit on the wall... Whatever like falls off, falls off, and then all of their Bandai card gamers will just go towards the few remaining games. Is the Bandai card gamer's name Alec? No, not <laughs> Alec. Cause yeah, no, I, I won't just play whatever is left. I play Digimon and I play One Piece and I, you know, I have I have Battle Spirit cards. But okay, don't make this about me. Yeah, no, I get you. It's it's a tricky proposition. I think it really ends up hurting the card games more it's for it. It's a hypothetical. Uh, now, speaking of the One Piece ban list, uh, Chris, who is our resident One Piece card game playing expert, uh, is actually at a One Piece regional this weekend. We had invited him to come on to the podcast because, like I was saying at the beginning, we can now sort of have we guests call, on this call him up and get him on the podcast. So I offered him, I was like, hey, you know, we can maybe call you for this segment. But he's out of town, but he did send me some thoughts that I can share that he just sort of wrote out for us. So here's what he and says about asked, this. When you hate when you hate his thoughts and you want to like come at him in the comments, just direct them at Paul. Yeah, so he's got a lot of things to say, and you guys can direct them at him. He might actually be on a podcast later on, though. The note band I posted on the official One Piece TCG Twitter really explains it all, but from a player, these hits were totally needed. The hits were basically only um, affecting the red decks, which have continuously taken majority of the top spots at regionals and treasure cups and often just flat out win the events. Edward Nougat is the first leader card to receive a ban in the game, which is historic on its own. The card came out very strong in set two, being the only leader with a 6,000 power and 6 life. It really just put the card in a league of its own. Nami ban comes as a big surprise, but it makes sense, being that the card is a strong searcher for most of the top red decks like Zoro and Law, making it a straight-up consistency hit. He also says, Curly Dedan ban is also a consistency hit because the card search is not only your searcher in Nami, but other low-case red characters, or low-cost red characters, making it another consistency hit to red decks. And lastly is Marco, the set 3 version, being limited, which joins the set 2 version on the limited list. Not only does it have the revival effect of the set 2 version, it also became a powerhouse in red decks because of its ability to destroy characters on play. Very strong card, now it's limited. Basically, like I said before all before all hits to red aggro strategies. Um, this, is, this is Chris's words. My personal thoughts is people wouldn't stop playing red because it was really strong against most matchups and didn't push the game further. Um, even if we'd get cool new leaders, people would still play, play them for a bit but ultimately fall back into playing red. And this, in my opinion, is the most important thought. So, um, thanks, Chris, for your insights. <laughs> I, you know, I think that that last thought is does sound very important here is that right. it's kind of one of those things where it was preventing the game from like maybe just moving forward because they would release cool new stuff 
And like people might play around with it. And just go back to what works. And you go back to what works in red. And obviously the One Piece listeners on the podcast, you can weigh in more in the comments. Let us know if these were like good, bad hits, how you feel about them. Uh, as always, I have to kind of relate everything back to Yu-Gi-Oh! a bit here because that's the only way I can understand anything, apparently. I think that it actually speaks really well to... You know how people kind of accuse Yu-Gi-Oh! and Konami of, like, the ban list just pander to, like, they just push sales. They, you know, push new products and Konami ban stuff when they're done with it. And I think there's they some truth... They don't try very hard to fight it. Yeah, I mean, I think that, oh, Konami doesn't fight any allegations. They don't say anything. They don't beat the case, yo. But, um... The thing is, like, there's some truth to that, I believe, and I don't think that necessarily that it's a bad thing, because there can be issues with card games. You can see maybe in this One Piece example where, like, if the color red, the, this, the red deck kind of is a little too good, and people feel that, why play these new things? I can just go back to red. It can make your game stale. So a lot like with Yu-Gi-Oh, where, like, People sometimes hate that, like, decks just get hit to push a new product, but, like, pushing a new product might be how you keep the game lively and kind mm-hmm. of freshen things up. So, while I don't think it's, like, justified in all cases or whatever, it is interesting to hear someone kind of say that because I can relate in that way. Like, I get why Konami would want, hey, like, you know, play the new stuff because it's what we worked really hard on this and we want it to be, like, interesting and exciting. And the alternative to that is power creep, where, okay, well, if you don't want us hitting your favorite old thing, then we'll have to creep it out instead. And I know there's this ideal world people have, where it's like everything is perfectly equal, perfectly balanced, and every deck is viable, but that ain't game design. It'll never be that way. But that's another thing I'm upset about. Because oh, God, okay. Bandai is just fine with uh, Digimon just being power creep the game. Like, they... We don't ban cards in Digimon. We only limit them. Like, And when we limit cards, it's usually just for consistency. Our way of balancing the game is every set, we just power creep the mess out of it. Like, yeah. If there's any one major criticism that I see about uh, Digimon from ex-Digimon players and even current ones is that the power creep in this game is crazy. Like, You, yeah. you cannot touch decks from like two formats ago there's a few things that you can kind of try and carry over but they just power creep the mess out of this game so then the impression i get is that maybe one piece is trying not to be like so super heavy-handed with the power creep and instead it's led to this situation where people are kind of like okay i'll just go back to red so now they felt they need to hit red and it's just sort of a that's the consequence you kind of deal with like either you're gonna have to do power creep or you're gonna have to do a ban list or you're just going to have to do straight-up rotation. And they've all got their ups and downs, so... Well, I'm Max. I'm a Mastermon player in Digimon. That's purple-yellow. And that's the only deck I ever really want to play. Ever. Luckily, Bandai loves Mastermon, and every so often they have to give us new support. Thank you. But for people who are fans of other decks, like, um... Uh, like a, like, let's say you're a big fan of, like, Kawagamon, and you had a great time with, like, the grandest Kawagamon deck. Well, it's now been power crept. It's been power crept for a little while now. Um, you don't have a course of action there. Like, yep. you just wait until they eventually print some more Quagamon support, which I guess, no, I don't think there's Quagamon support in this next set. So I don't know when you're going to eat. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's the pitfalls. It's just sort of the trials and tribulations of playing these card games. Like, the more and more I do this podcast and, like, read news and just 
hear what people have to say. And I'm very interested in what people have to say about games. I, I just I like asking people like, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about the set? How do you feel about this band list? How do you feel about this format? How do you feel about this? How this company is running this game? I'm starting to realize it's an unenviable position to be a card game like sort of designer and like this company trying to run these things because there's not like perfect solutions They're and right. everybody kind of wants their thing, their favorite deck, monster card theme, whatever. Tier zero to be. If not tier zero, they want it to always kind of be viable and always feel strong and capable. But also, like, people will, like, latch onto things and not move on from them. Like, okay, the thing I liked released early on, and if it hasn't been, like, there's not a reason for me not to play it, I'll just go back to it. And it's like, well, should people be able to do that? Or should you kind of be encouraging new sales? Because at the end of the day, you're like a company. you got to sell these packs. you got to, like, push this game forward. There are pros and cons with it. I mean... Like, yeah, Massamon has been power crept, but at least it's legal. Um, because they don't really ban cards, uh, all my Massamon cards are still at four. Uh, yeah, and because they don't rotate them, they're not just banned by default. So, like, for fun, if I don't care about winning a uh, regional or something, I can just play that deck. And that, that's, that's nice. I won't win, but I can play it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the alternative, what? Um, it was at one point so good that they hit a bunch of my cards down to like one, two, or banned something. And now to play Massamon for fun, I have to use this hobbled version of the deck. I don't think I'd like that very much. Right. Well, it's kind of interesting, I guess, just to see it all. Like, I don't play these games, but I'm finding more and more so. It's like you're getting to almost watch in real time as different games just grow a little differently and maybe mm. maybe bandai learns a bit from this it sounds like even though the Yu-Gi-Oh or the digimon ban list issue has not been resolved this ultimate cup change feels like it's intentionally meant to address at least some set of concerns yeah i do i really do think they want people to like jump back in with this i think ultimate cup is a great way to jump into competing in digimon and you don't suffer from not having played for like some months or some years. Yeah, and then in the case of One Piece, um, everybody wished Chris a good luck at the, the region he's competing in Go this weekend. Go for it. Yeah, Go hopefully buddy. he will do well. Uh, maybe we'll catch you up on it next week with whatever his results are. I remember I went to a One Piece Treasure Cup with Chris early on this year. It was very exciting to see how many people played in it. Like One Piece is popular. So. Yeah, it's a popping game. People like that. They play it. But uh, that's it for my Bandai talk. Cool. Uh, I got any other stories? Uh, no. No? Well, I think it's time to reach into the pot. All right. Yeah, we got a lot of new questions from you guys. Um, so we'll each draw two, see what you've got to say. Let us know if you like this segment, by the way. Uh, uh, oh, we haven't filled out all the cards. I'm gonna reach for ones that actually have the, the the notes on them. That's how we do it. We like pin a note to here we go. The cards it. and the uh, I dropped one. Oh, I got one anyway. Okay. Yeah, but um, let's know you like the segment. If there's anything we can do to change or improve this particular aspect of the podcast, where we take your pot of greed questions or your pot of greed questions. So, okay. Should Konami release character decks? So I guess this would be uh, similar to how we have starter and structure decks, mm-hmm. but instead of them being the ma- themed around an archetype, they'd be themed around a character from the anime. Well, yes, I think they should 
But I also think that that would just likely be themed around an archetype in most cases. I mean, in most, but in a DM era. Yeah, no, in DM harder. era, it could be a little bit of everything. And so, technically speaking, they have done that, if you want to like really stretch the definition of it, in the past year. Through the Seto Kaiba briefcase... Because, I don't know if you guys remember, they released that like $400 Seto Kaiba, his briefcase thing. And you get a Kaiba anime deck in that. Those have not shipped out yet. They're supposed to be shipping here in the next couple of months, I guess. When Joe's coming in. Who knows? I did order one, though. And um, the way that that works is, we don't know what the contents of the deck are. So I don't know if it's like actually what I'm saying it is. But the way they describe it is that it is, like, Kaiba's sort of anime deck. And so if that's the case, then, like, um, then that's, like, an example of it. Now, obviously, there's, like, $400. Ooh, that's your limited, favorite characters from you know, the Yu-Gi-Oh! Limited accessibility. TV series. But I do think uh, if they were to do that for, like, DM characters and kind of just make them these hodgepodge decks, it would sound cool, but I don't think people would buy it because, like, the people that you're trying to aim for with that are, like, these Yugi Boomer, I guess, like, would be the... You know, everyone likes that word. Like, these really old head types who just might not know it exists. They'd probably like it, though. But I think that for most of the Yu-Gi-Oh! anime, like, anything past... Even really just GX, it would just be an archetype deck. But you put the character's face on it. Now, that, I think, helps a lot. Uh, I think that... Because then you kind of get the best of both worlds where it's like, okay, I get to play a Yuma deck with Utopia. Like, they have really slowed down on, like, doing those character structure decks or kind of themed decks. They do a few. There's, like, the, the Jack Atlas one this year. Really good deck. But yeah, I, I don't know I what think that, that Red Dragon thing is, but that Jack guy, that's a cool monster. But I think that there was a big missed opportunity. Like, I don't think any Zexal characters got, like, starter decks and structure decks. I know that Yuya and Declan from Arc 5 did. Yeah, I can't... No, I think there's only like starter decks. Yeah, they got like uh, starters. Zexel. Huh. Zexel, yeah, Zexel just got generic starter decks. I know Yuya and Declan also got starter decks, but that was it. Like, no other characters did, and they were just the starters. Yeah, you're right. And so it was like a very weird thing, because I remember, you know, back when they did like starter deck, Yugi, starter deck, Kaiba, starter deck, Joey, starter deck, Pegasus, and eventually like much further down the line, they even did like starter deck, Merrick. I guess then, but these those anime were not nearly as popular as like DM, at least in the West. I can't speak for you. Yeah, because in Japan, got those sort of like a few other characters got like decks. Oh. I believe. Um, I believe. So, I would like to see it. I think that it would stick out a bit more on store shelves. <laughs> it still does rely though on those like anime being like airing on TV, so like kids and normal people know what they're looking at. Mm -hmm. I remember when they released like the revolver structure and like the soul burner structure, and I was just kind of like, these are cool for competitive types. They're great products. I don't know that like average Joe or like little Jimmy is going to really resonate with soul burner being on the box because it's like, okay, who is that? It's soul burner. Yeah. It tells like, you, you know, on the box. And because it's kind of funny, like at the time, Brains was like, you could watch it on Crunchyroll, subbed. Nice. It was not like on TV and English and stuff at the time. So those two things still need to like align. But I think the idea is great. I think they should do it. Like, and it, and while we're at it, bring back the card window. I know that's not, I mean, not the aggressive environment because like it's like a plastic window. This man but, stays with this card window. But I think the card window it does a very key, like vital job in selling the product. Yeah, it helps the kid figure out which ones to steal from. Wow. That how that does that was a Walmart back in the day. People were just taking those cards. 
But no, like, I, I do think that the card window just adds a bit of excitement because it proves to you, like, a little, you get a little taste of what you're getting. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. But I say yes, do, do character decks by all means. Hopefully the Crimson King deck sold well and maybe it can kind of, like, tell Konami, hey, like, people will like it. Some people were worried about that, like, turn skipping thing. I'm sure it, it sold something. Yeah, I mean, but the card already existed, so it wasn't a new thing in there. But it got reprinted. Yeah. So, um, okay, well, my question. What's a card you'd like to play, but it's too awkward? Oh. A Yu-Gi-Oh card. Uh, I had a few in the past. One of the ones I've always liked is Quick Booster. It's this quick play spell card that... um. I don't even, oh my god, I don't barely remember what it does, but it does, does something with, like, I'm a if you have a, uh, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll look up the the exact text so that I can kind of recite it for you guys, but it's this really interesting old quick play spell. Oh, I remember this card. Yeah. Why did why did you even remember this? It came out in Cosmo Blizzard, because <laughs> it was a cool card. I had an ultimate rare copy, and that's, oh, like, that's kind of why it. Target one, it's a quick play spell. Target one quick play spell in your graveyard, except quick booster. Shuffle that target into the deck. That's all it does. Then the second effect is, if this card you control is destroyed by your opponent's card and sent to your graveyard, you can add one quick play spell card from your deck to your hand, except quick booster. So generally, it's just kind of, it'll just recycle a quick play spell. Yep. But I thought that it was always really cool that if it got destroyed, then you could actually get a quick play spell to hand. And like, as you know, in Yu-Gi-Oh!, searching spells is kind of like one of those taboo, like not many cards do it. Yeah. Oh, Part of why Triple Tactics Thrust is so like obscenely strong and influential right now is because like it can search spells. Mm-hmm. So I thought this was a really unique thing. And I was always like, man, this is really cool. But like, it's just, it's just awkward to use. Yeah. But that actually leads me to my awkward card. Mm-hmm. I had to Google it to be able to say its effect properly. Uh, Silver Sentinel. Oh, I remember him. Because I remember, uh, I remember when this card came out. Um, there was so there was so much talk about it being a meta defining card, or at least a good tech card. It wasn't any of those things. So what it what it says is, uh, Silver Sentinel is a level four Earth Warrior. You can set this card from your hand to your spell and trap zone as a spell card. During the end phase of the turn that this set card was destroyed by an opponent's card effect and sent to the graveyard, target one card your opponent controls, if possible. Special summon this card from the graveyard, and if you do, destroy that target. See, I thought that was such a cool effect, but as it has panned out and what's been proven is you cannot guarantee your opponent will do such things, and it's Really hard to force them. Yeah. It's just one of those things where, like, it, it's such a cool mechanic. And they've even managed to kind of make the, you know, setting monsters thing work with, like, artifacts. Mm-hmm. And the defense mission attacking thing work with, like, super heavy samurai. But you usually have to attach quite a lot to it. So, um... And, like, why couldn't he just be, when he just gets destroyed by an effect? Why did it have to be my opponent's card effect? Yeah. So, it's, and that was, like, to, I guess... That period of time in Yu-Gi-Oh! 2 where they were very concerned about cards maybe just being a little too good or something. But I, but I can summon Kenner against my opponent's side of field and then make them activate the effects so that I can draw and discard some things. Yeah, we're in 2023 now. Cards are allowed to be broken. Well, apparently. Um, and look at this cool gun! It is true. I'm surprised that like got through censoring. I think because they don't actually show the um, the barrel of it, the like yeah, the barrel of the gun. It's I think it's considered implied. Okay, well, 
I don't know that for a fact. Well, that's the answer to that. All right. Uh, question number two. Draw your second card. So, do you think that new archetypes will cause players to leave the game? So that's a general question. It's a general question, but um, I wonder what they I'm, mean by that. I'm thinking uh, it's, it's more of like a power creep kind of question. Like, oh yeah, okay. Like with what we what's what came out in um, up. Oh, I'm blanking on the last set's name. Agog or Age yeah, of Overlord. An Age of Overlord. Do we think that um, these new strategies that have come from it and the way that we're playing this current format, will that drive people away? And I actually have a very uh, short answer. Okay. No. We survived Tyr and Kashtira. If we can survive those very, very intrusive decks, we can survive anything. I'll say this. I think... It won't drive people away, really. I think what often drives people away from Yu-Gi-Oh! is... Because, okay, so with top-tier decks, it's kind of known that they're top-tier and they're busted and people don't like, you know, like, oh, cash tier is too strong, tier is too strong, whatever current thing is too strong. Um, But, like, people love their archetypes so much that I think that it's not really enough to make someone quit. They'll just dislike it. You ever but met a dino player, Paul? Yeah. They can't be stopped. I mean, a lot of people, they, they just adapt and kind of move forward, or they beg for support or whatever, but they will wait for that support. Dino players. For the most part. At least that's my understanding of it. Indomitable. However, uh, I think that what typically will make people quit is just the I, the general idea of, like, being price-gated out of the game, like with the Pot of Prosperity, Triple Tactics, Thrust, those sort of situations, mm-hmm. or kind of overwhelming amounts of, like, power creep can do it where it's not even so much like a, a new strong archetype, but rather like, you know, a lot of people like quit when like pendulums came out. A lot of That's people quit of when links came out. Or a lot of people quit, yeah, when like master rule changes. So those tend to be the things that I feel like drive people away. I don't think that just the existence of new archetypes usually does it. But if they're strong enough, it can. So... I think it'll certainly, it like, a tier format, like, I know that, like, caused people to take breaks. But they're back now. But, yeah, the, the, you know, it's Yu-Gi-Oh. You know, I, it's I tough think Yu-Gi-Oh players are, to are too tough for, like, an archetype or a card to make them quit. If anything, that's what Yu-Gi-Oh is. I think most Yu-Gi-Oh players understand that innately. But if Yu-Gi-Oh the game changes, that's yeah, what then, people then are like. Yeah, then things get a little bit uh, murkier. You know, what you got, Paul? All right, so for the last question, we have... Uh, what accessories would you add to Master Duel? You That's Master actually Duel, a question like, tailor-made for you. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, so I play a lot of Master Duel, you guys know. I There's a lot of mates I would like to see added to the game. Mates being the thing that, in my opinion, is the most exciting like accessory. Because they can have sleeves and icons and stuff like that. But those are just it's like an image that, of a card. That is wild to call your romantic, your romantic interest an accessory. Well, if it was a Rescue Ace Hydrant, I think it would be my romantic interest. You heard it here first, yeah, folks. That's right. A fire hydrant. <laughs> but, no, I really do think it would be like awesome to have Rescue Ace Hydrant. as like, That's the mate that I think they should add in. I play Rescue Ace. Uh, it's like the thing I really like. But I feel like pretty much any archetype that exists in the <clears> game <throat> should pretty much have its mascot monster be made into a mate. If, if one exists, it should just like, be the mate. I'm honestly surprised there aren't more in Macedal. Uh It was kind of weird seeing how many like weird generic mates they made. 
for those like nonsense challenges that don't really matter. The skates. The yeah, the skates and like a soccer ball card. and like a treasure and it's chest. Like, it's like kind of all of those random. could have been monsters. And I feel there's like there's one that's like a a dartboard. Like I have <laughs> like a there's a dartboard. I have a feeling, and I get I can't prove this. I have a feeling all of those were supposed to be monsters. I think yeah, I, that's what I think too. I think that they were like kind of just these like placeholder kind of just stock assets. Like, Maybe they couldn't get it done in time, or maybe they couldn't get approvals for everything, and so they just filled in with whatever they could. Just it's like I'm sorry, this is Yu-Gi-Oh. Like no one's gonna have a soccer ball, mate. Unless you play UA, I guess. But then in that case, you would at least stylize it to the UA soccer ball. That's true. You should like they, were, they just get a generic basketball or a generic like just like dartboard, and it just sits there, and it's like. Yeah, so I, I think Rescue Ace Hydra is, like, my number one pick. But really, like, you can name any archetype that's got, like, you know, a cutesy, like, just mascot sort of thing or object or something that, like, the archetype centers around. I think that should pretty much always be the mate. I mean, given how popular uh, that one what, laundry dragon made, mm-hmm. given how popular that mate has been, I'm surprised they haven't just cashed out and made like every cute waifuish mate they possibly can. I've always thought, at least like with Labyrinth and how popular that is, that they would make like Ku Clock into a like a mate or something, or the lady herself, or that. Yeah, I mean they made a uh, Vendred Slayer into one, so I think humanoid ones can just happen now. Stratos yeah. is one. I mean, Stratos one. Also the ninja Hanzo. Hanzo's, Hanzo's one, one. So. one. He throws Shuriken. So yeah, I mean I. For me, it's Hydrant, but really, I think all kind of mascot monsters should get one. I think really every archetype deserves a mate, or as most prominent archetypes should get one, at least. I want a Plunder Patrol mate. I don't actually Very care which surprised one. they haven't. I don't care which one. I think it should be Black Eyes. It could be Black Eyes, but I'll take Red Beard. I'll take Golden Hair. I'll, uh, blue, blue Beard. I'll take Blue Beard. I don't care. Yeah. Not a ship. I don't want a ship. <laughs> a whole ship mate. mate. That seems like that's a bit like, much. But that's not... You've got Ozzer Lane for that. that that's, no. no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. a completely different co- conversation, but it's also card game related because they just had... They just added that to Schwartz this month. Okay. Yeah. Oh, God, again, they're really... Uh, the, the deep you know, reaches of the card game news now. It's getting deep. We don't talk a lot about Bushy Road's uh, titles. We don't really play them uh, as, much. as much. I mean, if, if an interesting Bushy Road story crosses our eye, though... We'll add it in. I gotta start looking more. I'm not gonna lie. I, I tend to forget to search for Bushy Road games, but maybe next time. Yeah. Because we've both answered two questions. Yeah, you know, we've drawn our two cards. So the pot of greed comes to the end for the week. This is another one of those uh, girthy episodes. I know you guys love so much. I don't know if that's the word I'd use. Like that's mm, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Just a little reminder: make sure that you uh, leave us good reviews. I found that reviews are important. So, like, if you listen to this on Spotify or Apple or whatever, leave us at least five stars. You know, write a write a nice review. But you it know, helps. if you need to be honest, you know, four stars. I get it. I do. And I would, of course, love to hear what you guys have to say about any of the topics that we discussed today. Very card game centric day in terms of news. Oh, for sure. Um, like what you guys think about any of the topics? I'd like to hear more from the One Piece players. I'd like to hear more from uh, the Digimon players, a lot of stories about that, the Magic players, just what those sort of changes to each of these games means to you. Um, So, yeah, I think that's going to be it. And we'll see you guys in the next one. Pass turn. turn.